Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Have you thought about joining that Kevin Smith Club? Oh, what a wonderful place it is, man. That's where we archive all the old podcasts I've ever recorded since oh, 2007. I've been doing this early. Um, we got video. I do a morning show called Wake and Bake three times a week. Um, we got exclusive podcasts like Plus One. So come on, what are you waiting for? Come join us at that Kevin Smith Club. Uh, that Kevin Smith Club members get cool stuff like scripts and uh, pins. And and just recently, uh, some of them got to see Clerks 3 like way early. Um, well, because we hold screenings. So join us over at thatkevinsmithclub.com, man. Thatkevinsmithclub.com. You could be a clerk. You could be a mall rat. You could be a fun employee. You could be a yoga hoser. Um, or you could be anything you want to be in this life. But in that Kevin Smith Club, there are just those four categories. But come join us at that Kevin Smith Club this year. 2022 we launch a new initiative man where like you get props actual props from the movies costumes pieces from the movies uh membership levels get so come join us now's the time to get in on this nonsense man that kevin smith club join me at that kevin smith los angeles it's time to babble the fuck on Ralph Garman and Kevin Smith bring Hollywood Babylon to Flappers Comedy Club December 18th. Tickets available at csmod.com. You want a podcast? I got a smodcast. You want a podcast? I got a smodcast. You want a podcast? I got a smodcast. You want to, you want to, you want to, you want to. Do you get your laughs from computer radio with this bro, Scotty Mo? It's about time to lose your shit. Everybody's progress clips for that legend, Kevin Smith. Welcome to Smodcast. I'm Kevin Smith. Uh, okay, man. Uh, today our guest brings more honor to this house than I'm afraid this house can fucking bear. And if you would have went back to my teenage years and told me that I'd be sitting in in this room with this cat, that this cat would come to my house, I would have shit myself. And honestly, it's only because I've learned to contain my fecal matter at a, as an older man that I could keep it in because it's the same feeling I have now that I would have had then I, when somebody called me up and said, Hey, this cat, uh, is available to do fucking podcast. I said, please, please send this cat my way, man. Because this cat for my generation represents the first time we literally got to see ourselves on screen for years. They'd shown us teenagers and movies and TV shows that were in their fucking forties. John Travolta in Greece was supposed to be a senior, he looked like a senior's dad. So when John Hughes started making movies where the kids looked like the kids, looked like people you went to school with, and more importantly, fucking acted like the people you went to school with, we listened up. Every teenager gets the movies they deserve. Their generation gets the movies they deserve. And our generation was very lucky. There was no streaming. There wasn't a lot of content. Uh, movies were still a thing and we would go to the movies on Friday nights, Saturday nights, because, uh, th that was part of, uh, the high school tradition, youth tradition growing up, but you'd see, you know, movies where so-called teenagers were slaughtered by Jason Voorhees. They were also in their thirties and shit. You never saw yourself, but then you went to see 16 candles. And for the first time you saw people recognizable and, you know, not, and it wasn't, 
you know, uh, Cusack's in that movie with another kid, and they're playing like high arch nerds who could never <laughs> fucking get laid. But Farmer Ted, man, you were like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, why isn't he getting the fucking girl? How come Molly Ringwald's not interested in him? Like, yes, Jake is like football y looking, but this guy's fucking hilarious. Um, and charm and personality goes a fucking long way, even in high school. So. Back when I was watching these movies, first it was uh, 16 Candles. Then one of my favorite movies of all time was National Lampoon's Vacation. Then Breakfast Club. Then uh, Weird Science. Then and then and then I was a huge Saturday Night Live fan. Then he was the youngest fucking cast member on Saturday Night Live. This cat is a fucking uh, pop cultural lodestar of my entire youth. We crossed over once in the past when I did a, a podcast for the New York uh, film, uh, New York, God, what was it? Uh, film the, Society. Yeah, New York Film Society, yeah. uh, which is at Lincoln Center. Yeah. Um, and we were doing a show called Smooviola, and we did the 30th or close to the 30th anniversary of The Breakfast Club, in which every kid was there except for fucking Emilio, who just couldn't fucking be bothered. <laughs> Still can't, I think. His, 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 his father was screaming at him for fucking, you know, for, for, for not getting in more shenanigans in high school. That's why he taped poor Brian's butts together, Brian's friend's butts, yeah. cheeks. Yeah. Um, it is uh, with great pleasure uh, and a great honor to welcome to the show uh, one of my favorite fucking performers of my entire life whose work i can quote chapter and verse because his work was the foundation of what my work would become anything that you wind up doing as a creative is fed by the things that you intake through most of your life so you will see our guest in little pieces of everything i do because our guest was in my life uh before i started doing what i'm most well known for doing ladies and gentlemen welcome to fucking smodcast Anthony Michael Hall. Mr. Smith, thank you, sir. That three was, fucking names. Wow, Legend, a man so big he needs three <laughs> fucking names. First of all, bro, I'm just honored to see you again and, and to be here at your home. And that was really special. Thank you very much for all those kind words. Your work means the world, and you know yeah. that to a lot Thanks, of people. Bro. Take yeah. us back. Sure. You're here to talk about, you're in uh, Halloween Kills right now, right? It's a monster, bro. It's, it's such a fun movie. And it fucking made money. Like, it was one of those pictures that they were like, we're yeah. going to release it in theaters, and we're going to release it on Peacock. Yeah. And- it f still killed in theaters. It People did. It's up it. to, I think, 92 million worldwide. Really thankful for that. We, do so you much love and thanks to everybody who's seeing the film and running it on Peacock, streaming it multiple verse, you know, multiple times and everything. So do you great. remember when the first Halloween came out? 78, man. So I'm 53. I was 10. I didn't catch up on it probably until you were later. Right, like right. Cinemax or HBO in those days, right. How weird. So I'm like 11 or 12 probably, so 79 or 80 I remember seeing it. Are you working at that point? What age do you start working? I started working when I was eight years old. I worked, what was it, like a McDonald's commercial? You know what it was? I did a play with the late, great Steve <laughs> Allen. Are you shitting me? Yeah. Kevin, check this out. So 19, Where was this? New York City. Okay. It's a friend of my mother's, a guy named Arthur who... Was friends with Isaiah Sheffer, really reputable, great theater director from New York. Mm. Kind of got us hip to the audition, and that was, it was a you know an option and something worth exploring. So I had the privilege of meeting Steve Allen at the Waldorf Astoria. I'm eight years old. This is 1976, man, and I was just a little kid. So I, I auditioned for him, did that play, wound up being a great experience. I know. Wait, are you a New York kid? I'm a New, New York kid. kid. Yeah, New whole York time you yeah. grew up in New York City. New York City. The whole what time. do mom and dad do? Mom is a jazz singer. 
singing for our supper, teaches voice as well. So like literally at night, she'll go to a club and yeah. be like, huh, yeah, yeah. blues and Definitely. stuff like that. Did you ever go see her perform? Definitely. I mean, I was in the back of the clubs a lot of times as a kid. Before oh, we made our way to New York. Yeah, it's crazy. That is genius. And then she met my stepfather who wound up adopting me, Tom, and we lost him a couple of years ago to brain cancer, my father. And Sorry. I always called him my father because he was just exemplary, you know, great husband too my mom and a great father to my sister and I. So anyway, back to Steve Allen. So that was the first gig. I was eight years old. I did a play Summerstock. It was like New York, Cape Cod, Playhouse in the Park. Why, you know? why you? I don't know what he saw me because I was such a pup, man. I'm, why did your mom even bring you in? Or You know what? I was kind of a handball kid. I was one of those kids doing shows for his relatives. You know, my start was in kitchens at weddings and funerals, right? right? Imitating were, my aunts and uncles. You were living room funny. Oh, totally. That's what I, you know, as a kid. So I remember that. My mom was one of 13 kids, Kevin. <laughs> what? Hold yeah. on. Let's go back to that. 13 kids. Yeah. Your mother? Yeah. Big Irish, Italian, Catholic family. Wow. Born in Boston, raised there the first couple of years. Then she went west to pursue her singing career. It was kind of like Alice doesn't live anymore. She was a Is single right? mom. A single mom with a little kid going across country. You were Tommy. Totally. So cut back to New York, 76. I'm eight years old. I did this play. I auditioned for Steve Allen. Didn't know what I was doing. Didn't even know what an audition was. And then from that, man, it became kind of a hobby. I would do commercials and audition. And I had this work ethic, even though I was a kid growing up in the city. So she meets my father. Where did you go to school in the city? I went to public schools, man. I went to So you PS. weren't even like the fame kid? No, like, none of that. Dancing no. on cars. I wound up going to that school. It's fun. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to public schools as is in, it in elementary school. LaGuardia or something? What is it, it was LaGuardia, but it was actually PCS, Professional Children's School, which sounds super goofy. But it was that school in high school I went to. It became LaGuardia. It right. merged with another school. But so, yeah, man, so I was growing up in New York City. Then we had, you know, my mother rem um, remarried, so mm -hmm. I had my sister who's now living in New York with her family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was doing auditions for commercials and just kind of, I auditioned, this goes back to, this is around the time of The Wake, which was the Stephen Allen play. I auditioned for On Golden Pond. Are you shitting me? That's how far I For the back. role that, what's the name? The kid, Doug, Doug Keehan did, Doug yeah, Keen. yeah. This is the kid who introduced the term suck face to the vernacular that then, uh, Henry Fonda was like, you want to exactly. make out or you want to suck face? So that's one of my earliest kind of prof uh, professional memories because I was in Midtown with my stepfather auditioning for that. I'm like nine or 10 years old, maybe a couple years later. And that part, if I remember, that kid was a little older. It was, and like that's exactly what happened. So it led to Mark Rydell, who was a man, she was a great guy. He wound up taking the time mm. to come and talk to me as a little kid so I would, didn't feel damaged and all that. And like it ain't great. you. Yeah, you want exactly. And that's literally what he said to me. It's funny you said that. So that's kind of early memories. Then from like nine or 10 years old, I'm just a little tight, you know, I'm auditioning, doing, and it was like an after school hobby and shit, but I had this work ethic. I'd actually get on the bus or the train and go to auditions in Midtown and I was, you know, hitting the pavement. Did you have, uh, what were your friends like? Were they acting My kids? My friends were no? all kids in school. Yeah. Friends I went to school with, kids in the neighborhood. Yeah. But just not kinda, like, we all want to act. You no, no, it's not like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, New, a New York City upbringing is interesting. Man. A lot of people look at it and they shut it. They go, I don't know if I can raise my kids here. But you but, were there for what part of the city? Upper West Side. So you were there yeah. for like fucking the birth of rap, totally. the advent of like totally. fucking Madonna hits the scene, all like, of that. Wow, that's hip hop, nice. totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So New York City upbringing, man. I lived there till I was twenty five, and then I moved west. So then the career kicked in after that. I was a young teenager, as I said. I was, I did this movie Six Pack with Kenny Rogers, nineteen eighty. Was that your first flick? Yeah, it was the first big one. Yeah, I saw that flick at the theater. What's her name? Said Diane Lane. Diane Lane. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. wanted the kids? Yeah, man. And then I did a couple of commercials. You know, like, what did I do? Movies of the Week. And, what was you know, Kenny after Rogers? School do you remember anything about Kenny Rogers? Kenny Rogers was great, man. He really had a heart of gold. He really cared about people. Very nice guy, man. Mm. Very down to earth. Very generous of spirit, you know. 
So then it leads to something that changed my life as I'm looking at National Lampoon here in your office. Yeah. I meet Maddie Simmons and the great Harold Ramis. I'm 14, and I auditioned for vacation. So this is before even 16 Candles. Correct. And so that first period of, let's say, 8 to 13 or 14, I'm just a kid living in the city. Yeah, yeah. And it was a hobby, and it kind of spun out. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I meet Maddie Simmons, the founder of, of uh, National Lampoon Magazine, and Harold Ramis was directing a new comedy called Vacation from a short by John Hughes. Yeah, he John Hughes submitting. wrote the short story. That's right. He was one of those writers it's at like Lampoon. like Family Vacation 68 or right. something. Right. And, and Lampoon Magazine, as you and I know, it was a great kind of R-rated guys magazine in the 70s and 80s, right? It, it, it was know. like there was Mad Magazine, right. you know, for more like, I wouldn't say kids, but right. high school. But National Lampoon was like when you got to college. It was predicated on the old Harvard and still consistent Harvard Lampoon. Then uh, a few of them, when they graduated, started exactly. this magazine. Exactly. And then a few years into the magazine, the magazine very successful. Right. One of its most famous covers is, <clears throat> buy this magazine or we'll shoot this dog. It was a photo of a dog with a gun to his fucking head. And right. Fucking half the nation was outraged. How quaint when right. you think about that now. <laughs> what outrages the nation, but that did outrage the nation. Great so, point. So they were pushing the envelope as a magazine that then so. became a branded film company. Right. Which they did right. with Animal House. Animal House so was the first Animal big Animal House out we there, kids. and suddenly they yeah. branded a movie, National yeah. Lampoon's Animal, Animal House. House. Right. Mad Magazine would try it later on with Mad Magazine's Up the Academy, and they would eventually take their name off of it. Great recall. I remember all that. Right. Crazy, but they followed that mold. So right. National Lampoon right. is then in the movie biz, tangentially, right. and they're like, all right, we've got this great story that John Hughes, who was already uh, a factor, becoming a factor, his name, he's... He's written uh, his uh, the movies he'll go on to make that has Anthony in them, That's and right. they're waiting to go. And prior to that, Kev, he had written Mr. Mom, yes. Nathan Hayes, yes. which is kind of a little I scene. I fucking love you Nathan love Nathan Hayes. Hayes? <laughs> yes. It's a movie. I haven't heard anyone awesome. say that fucking title out loud in over a decade. So One those of the were the greatest first two adventure movies ever made. Yeah. One of the, f the first two scripts that he sold. The Mr. Mom Jones and that one. It's so yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Mr. Mom, that's right. Yeah. I remember watching the death out of that, man. Keaton He's, was great in that. Keaton right? was yeah. fucking fantastic. You gave a baby chili? What 225, whatever it takes. Yes. <laughs> so Hughes is on his way up. He wrote a Jaws script. Jaws three people's people nothing. Talking about that, yeah. So he's he's a becoming a factor, and, and right. soon Paramount will let him direct his own movie. Yes, sir. So back but to right the room. now, he's writing. He writes the screenplay. Right. He's writing articles. Then he gets the commission from Maddie to write the screenplay. So cut to the office in New York. I'm mm -hmm. in Warner Brothers in Midtown Manhattan, right near Rockefeller Center. And in the room is just Maddie and Harold, because I never I didn't meet him on the vacation experience, which is right. interesting, right? And then we make that film, which was just a gas, man. We could talk for two Wait, hours. You vacation. Say you didn't meet Hughes until sixteen candles, right. So How he wild. was just the screenwriter. I had no idea who he was, man. He you were saying his words before you met the guy. You got it. That's so crazy. there's this kind of predestined thing. Let's take it us. back to fucking yeah. Harold Ramis, because Jesus. Okay, another genius. Yes, right? I like, mean, seriously. a fucking living legend. This really? is one of the original members of uh, Second City and right. SCTV, right. Um, who went on, of course, to be Egon and Ghostbusters, amongst right. other things. But yeah, he was a director, and he directed the shit out of fucking Vacation. And had penned and also directed some of the biggest comedies for arts age group, like Growing Up, man, Stripes, mm -hmm. Meatballs, right? All these great movies. And he was brilliant. Um and actually, you know what? When I think back, Kevin, they had a lot of similarities. Just gentle, nice guys. They loved to laugh, obviously. were great comedians. Comic writers, rather. But when I look back in my mind's eye, I see them both smiling. All the time. Because, yeah, because they were just, there was a sense of joy. It's like you with your work, man. If they, you're doing the thing were, you do and you love it, then you'll never work a date, right? Like, and that they thing were like, in. I'm getting away with it. 
Like, I can't believe I'm writing the shit. These cats are writing what they wanted to write. Exactly. Some writers, lucky enough to get in this business, they're like, you write some shit don't, you don't relate to. Right. These cats were writing like their own experiences, their own laughs, and changing yes. the shape of the culture. Yes. Changing the shape of storytelling and comedy in specific. Both of those. Well guys. said. Absolutely. And, and they share that. Whereas the only difference I would, I would, I would suggest was that Harold worked in teams. John pretty much wrote alone. Right. But absolutely, man. They were both major significant writers and filmmakers of our generation right and then wrote like particularly harold like he had written like all those films all the way up to ghostbusters so so, so anyway so i got vacation audition. yeah and they just saw something in me man i was rusty in the room was who just, were the uh, rusty in the room. <laughs> which in any other situation be like rusty in the room they'll get you the job yeah, rusty yeah, in the yeah. room get you the job well, i just vacation. read you know yeah it was just from the gut you know it's just who who were your thought of acting at the contemporaries point. at that point like who are you always up against for parts you know it's only i would see rick schroeder i would see um the ricker yeah uh there's a an and he was at an awkward time too because he'd had the champ. He'd have the one I was up for. The champ. Were you, were you up for the champ? Yeah, dude. That's how we go back. So I would see Rick at auditions. Were you able to cry for your audition? Yeah, I did that audition too. Don't die, funny. champ. Those are the most two indelible, you know, memories of auditioning on Golden Pond and the champ. Totally, man. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that, and also auditioning and not getting them too as yeah. a kid. Yeah, because it's like it's tough enough as an adult in this business. Oh, where you're like, you. I want to yeah. do a thing. Oh, yeah. And they're like, we chose somebody else. You're like, all right, I get it. No I get doubt. It. No but doubt. as a fucking child, well, and also that's why I, th I often like in our careers in this industry, it's like you have to have the mindset of an athlete, man. Because yeah. you have to learn. You have to have a thick skin. You got to go season by season. You know, yes. you're never promised anything. You know, you're only this, as good as your last whatever. This part of <laughs> this aspect of you always blows my mind because, yeah. of course, I identify you with the early work. And no part of that screams sports aficionado who could make a reference to sports. By the time we get to Johnny Be Good, it becomes clear that you're acting, <laughs> that you're I not Farmer it. Ted, that you're not Brian Johnson, that you have a whole other life where right. you're actually right. a person playing a part. But you're sure. speaking to hustle. At yeah. the same time, there's no guarantees. You're as good as your last win or victory or last team, your right, last right. project. Very, right? very so true. the analogies are there. But yeah, man, so I've always had that mindset, Kevin, just of like, just keep going. Just don't give up, man. Don't so wait, up. so Ram, Ramus is like, this is our guy. I guess so, because I just remember, again, I'm 14, man. I was just a pup. So I remember leaving the room feeling good because Maddie was a very warm-hearted guy. He was great in the room. And Harold, you can see him. Like, just imagine him in Ghostbusters. You see him smiling in mm -hmm. your eyes, right? Like you hear him on vacation. He's like, we're all oh, done yeah. here, Mr. Wally. Should we take him away? He does the voiceover real Dude, brief. exactly. Exactly. So at that point, you don't even, you, do, do they do shit like chemistry reads or like, we want you to read with Chevy? None of that for vacation, but come 16 Candles, I'm in Midtown Manhattan on 57th Street at the Universal offices, and that was their process. So I remember bringing brought back in for the audition for 16 Candles, like literally like six or eight times. And it was that thing is with each successive meeting, there was like two more executives in the room. <laughs> right, right, right. This was before, you know, they would hop on a plane or there was, you know, this is long before Zoom. And <laughs> <laughs> but what People they, actually showed up and were in the meetings. You know? Why they're in that room, though, is because they keep hearing about the boy king. They're like, there's this fucking kid. You gotta see. And like, they got him in, Warner Brothers has him in vacation. We got a chance to get him for the next fucking you're very thing. Very sweet, bro. But it's also that thing of mixing and matching, because you're right. That's what they do. Jackie Birch, to this day, I love her. Casting, casting lady, great lady, couldn't be cooler. She was doing that thing. And as you know, as a filmmaker and producer, like, you mix and match contenders, as it were, yes. in the final stages. And that's sort of like pre screen test or in place of screen test, right. I guess, sometimes, you know. So. What uh, do you remember meeting Chevy Chase for the first time? It had to be on the set of the movie. How did he treat you? 
Well, he was cool. As a kid. I mean, I always looked up to him again, like Rusty. I had that. You watched of, him on TV, oh, totally, because I loved Caddyshack. I remember even seeing him in like movies like Seems Like Old Times. Over oh, that, we were kids. Movie. Oh yeah, great si- movie. Uh, Neil yeah. Simon movies. Fantastic. Yeah. Him and Goldie Hawn. That's actually one of his greatest roles. But also as a kid watching, you know, because we're the same age, like watching SNL. Man, yeah. it was like a treat. You had to ask your parents to stay up. And it was all born says of their the politics, guy, right? the guy that eventually gets on that show. Right on. Which but you know what I mean? It was like a big deal to watch SNL. Yeah. So I love Chevy from that. I love Bill Murray. I love Belushi. All those guys. I looked up to all of them, man. What was it yeah. like to bounce off him? Like the scene, like, you know. Uh, oh, vacation. Yeah. The timing is fucking impeccable. She's She's got 12 cents, Dad. Like your <laughs> conversations with him are so fucking natural. Um, mm-hmm. And even like the scene where he sits down to like, you know, have the beer with you and whatnot yeah. and you fucking <laughs> drink beer. And you're like, yeah, Dad. Monument Valley. Yeah. You like Bugs Bunny. You always seem to be way ahead of whoever you're in the scene with and stuff. And it's funny in that scene because he's the adult and clearly you're aged up and whatnot. You're very kind, sir. Was he? Yeah. Do you rehearse on a thing like that, or you know, I remember. Are you, is that you pure? Like that's when we just me pure. That scene, yeah, that's no, that's like, just me pure. I mean, I was aware of the timing and I would be goaded on fucking swag, bro. Yeah, thank like you, bro. there's a, there's appreciate a swag it. to that performance yeah. where it's like this fucking kid knows what's going on. I appreciate it, man. But and so I was goaded by. Just looking over and seeing Harold smile or just right. being happy. You know, you always want to please the director. I had that same relationship with John and it went to another level because we were like brothers. But with Harold, same thing, man. It was always there on the, on the page. It was always funny. But he would, you know, you would check in. It's that thing. You know how it is when you're directing your actors and you can get on the nonverbal thing almost where right, it's like, let's right. do another one or let's try something else. And you're yeah. at, so how old are you when you're doing vacation? 14. I mean, all right. Yeah. What does that do to your social life? Vacation shoots where? California? Well, here's the trip because this predates blue screen, green screen. Yeah, you have to actually go to a fucking right. place. So the whole crew, we did the schlep, man. We went to Colorado. We left LA, rehearsed at Warner's, and then made that trip as a, as a unit. Are you shitting we me? We went from Colorado to Arizona and then back to LA, the whole crew. That's great. fucking crazy, it was great, man. man. That's yeah. wild. Um, so is there a... I guess there's like a bonding that goes on with that. Yeah, no, totally. Like I wasn't hanging with Chevy because I was still a kid, but yeah. he was, to your first question, he was cool, man. He was always kind of snarky and super, you know, Chevy, what's interesting about Chevy's background, I don't think, I think his acting career took him by storm, where you could argue the other cast members of the 70s cast were like really, they came from Second City or whatever they right. did. But with Chevy, he was the head writer, and I think it was kind on of the like- On the Lampoon Tour, right. on Lemmings. He was a writer, and then he became a performer, but he wasn't expecting Star Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think that that, if you look at it through that lens, it's interesting, because it, ch- it does change it. Because I remember as a kid, he would mention like a great actor to him, and, and I love this guy, it's like Ted Knight. Right. Because he loved Ted Knight, because Ted Knight had a rubbery face. I remember hearing Chevy say things like that. About, right, right. right. But it's not like you look at his career and then Murray's career. Yeah. Now, Murray, I mean- just clearly wanted to make more movies, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's a real arc there. Or easier to get along with. Could be a thing, too. There's that as well. There you go. What is the... Um, so when when 16 Candles starts happening, is did you get a feeling like Hughes was familiar with you before you even read because he had seen Vacation? He was. You just said it spot on. That's yeah. exactly right. So I was on his radar, so to speak, but we just hit it off right away. I mean, we literally just hit it off. It was probably like you and Jason and the boys. Like, it was just and how like much older is he than you? He's thirty-five. I'm fifteen. But it was like but we were both fifteen. That's what people say about him. So, is it true he would give you guys mixtapes or tell you like literally. this is what your characters are? Oh, literally, because in his house, Kevin, he had a room in Evanston or Northbrook, one of these nice, mm-hmm. fancy neighborhoods he lived in. 
His wife was great, Nancy. She's no longer with us, too, sadly. She just passed? Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, she passed. Are you kidding? Yeah. I met and her at that thing, we, the yeah, event we did. She was lovely. Because to, to me, she's the star of She's Having a Baby. That's Elizabeth McGovern right there. It. And yeah. Kevin's playing John. You got yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Bingo, buddy. So back to the in the day, like when we were shooting 16 Candles, like his two sons who are now grown men with their own kids and families, they were like two little Macaulays, dude. I was like the third son. Because I'd, I'd be hanging out at his house on the weekend. We'd be watching Laurel and Hardy. Abbott and Costello, and then we would dip into some prior and watch Live and Sunset Strip and shit like that. I mean, this is this is how the relationship was. So, to your question, when I look back, you're you're, you're it's sitting like we were with both an, fifteen. You're listen to this. Yeah. You're an icon. You yourself sitting with another icon, watching other icons work. That's fucking nuts. I mean, I had no awareness of that, but I appreciate it very much. Uh, but he was just, is, his process was like, and he even would say to me, "You have to write about what you know." Now, let me just point out one thing, which is kind of the brilliance of John Hughes, if anything else, Kevin. Cut to Home Alone yeah. later in his career. So how does Macaulay fend off Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci? He's watching Evan Costello. So there's the connective point, right? Mm -hmm. With Nothing's about, wasted about what you would in know. a writer's life, man. Careful what you say around them. That's yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're fucking thieves as well. Right. So you right away, he took a shine you. Totally. What was it now? 16 Candles is his first time directing. Right. And we go back to Chicago, his hometown where he's from. You guys shot it in Chicago. In Chicago, Skokie, Illinois, man, right there. Is that right? Yeah. And we used that high school. I forget the name of it. But it became the fake we were set up high school of Shermer, Illinois. That's it. And that was a right, fictional name he used for his films. Because there's a street, I guess, yeah, where he lived near or on called Shermer Ave or something like that. So I guess that's where it, it became came the from. fictional name of every high school. Of every high school. Yeah. Which like inspired me. Like the you know, to me, when I watch those movies in theaters and every time, hey, they're wearing they're at Sher they're wearing Shermer athletic wear in weird science. Like right. fucking Shermer was referenced in right. fucking Breakfast Club. Like right. holy shit. Right. One world, even though these characters never crossed over, that always meant one world to me. So when I've started my shit, I'm right. like, all my movies are connected. Great. Like they all went to fucking Sherman. Oh, that's so much. So I never knew that. I never knew. That's great. In Dogma, Jane, yeah. Silent Bob go to Chicago literally looking for Sherman, Illinois. Remember that, man. I, I auditioned for that project years ago. I remember that you, movie. For Dogma? Yeah, I did. I guess you never got the tape. Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. I swear to you. <laughs> because we would have seen you, man, and I would have been like, oh, he's in. I guess and my I, agent was fucking lamer than I thought he was. He'd have to think, <laughs> oh, my God, never in a fucking million years. That's always like the thing when I, I talk movies, about people man. I love yeah. and whose work I love. Yeah. Some people are like, why don't you cast them? I'm like, well, generally speaking, when I made a lot of things, the people I like, I talk about, like, I love Robert Shaw. A, he was dead. B, he would have been like too old for my <laughs> shit. But you would have been right on fucking yeah. point, man. Love it, man. Still love to work with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's still plenty of fucking time. <laughs> there's still time. <laughs> um, all right. So, so, so 16 candles. Yeah. So we're in Illinois. It's about two years after vacation. So I'm 16, 15 or 16 now. And Molly and Ringwald is not Molly Ringwald yet. Correct. She was in like uh, the Tempest. The Tempest. Cassavetti's flick. Yes. Right? The fucking Cassavetti's flick. Modern day adaptation of Shakespeare's The Tempest. And Great maybe movie, some actually. like sci-fi flick I think she'd been in. Space Runners. That's it. Dude. So she hadn't really done much and she certainly wasn't the Time Magazine cover girl, America's Sweetheart. Exactly. But she was on John's radar and he took a liking to her. He was, she was an actress and an ingenue and something, whatever that he saw in her. Um, but also, in fairness, they were great Amuse friends, too. Of, of sorts. She, yeah, amused, for, absolutely. Just like you. The two of you, he spent the most time generating for. Like, he found his voice, or not, he'd found his voice, but he found that his voice 
could be channeled very well through the two of you. And it's well charming I have to agree with that you. it's yeah. you like as, as a guy, it makes sense, but it's really special that he had any kind of connection in terms of writing for a girl interesting in the yeah. in the 80s yeah. you no, know what i'm right saying on. like you're most right people on. weren't thinking that way and suddenly here was a guy who was like i'm going to build my whole first movie not around a male main character but a female main character whose biggest fucking problem is like i don't know if i have anybody to go to the prom with now dig this that's all great points he was actually intending and i remember at the time him telling me he intended to make the breakfast club first so that must have impressed the executives of Universal. And for whatever reasons, they shifted and they went back to, we're going to do 16 Candles first. Is that right? Yeah. And then the thing that you just said does apply. It's interesting because why would he write through a girl's point of view? But that was brilliant in hindsight. Then the other thing I would say is they had a great friendship too, man. Like they, she was very much into like the Velvet Underground, the Beatles. Like she had- they She had was a music kid. Music kid, big time. And John and I, John connected with both of us that way through music. So back to his house, he had a dedicated room in his house, Kevin. It was unbelievable. It was just like this, floor-to-ceiling vinyl, and then the desktop in the corner by the window. So that inter integration that of wrote? music cues and all that, exactly, that's where he wrote. So that's why it fed him. Like you said, as artists, we have to stay inspired. What feeds you comes out in your work subconsciously. That's where he wrote. So all of the music cues in those early films and all of his films, Universal wind up giving him a record label because his instincts were so incredible. So yeah. he was discovering bands like Psychedelic Furs and Thompson Twins and all that music. It's true. We think of him as a channeler of New Wave, but he was also a breaker of a lot of New Wave as well. He wrote in the liner notes, I want to say for like The Breakfast Club, it's mm -hmm. something that stayed with me forever. Mm -hmm. He wrote something to the effect of music has never been an afterthought for me. Meaning when he's generating the screenplay, he's He's dropping song titles in to set Precisely. a in the mood. Precisely. And I saw it. And he did make mixtapes. And he would give them to us. And he did inspire us. He had an idea for a movie called The Last Good Year, which was to be set in 61, right before the Beatles come over in 62. Mm -hmm. He made a mixtape for that. And that was something he was talking through. Or just we would go to Kingston Mines or these legendary blues places in, in Chicago. He would pick us up in a limo with his wife. And we'd all go out and hear music. Like, all this kind of stuff. We'd go to record stores together. All of that was legit. When you go to record stores together at that point, are people like, oh my God, you're that fucking kid? No, because I think the movie had the movie just been out, you. but it did change things. Like all of a sudden I was, you know, recognized and that's, it freaks you out. You, just, you know how it is. Like in your 20s, when you're, when you're 15, you're like in the middle of that living the awkward time, you know. But honestly, more importantly than that was just the friendship. We were always laughing, always making each other laugh. He was always turning us all on to new music. Was there, truly, that social time was there too, man. You're a kid, so you would be forgiven for this. But being that you like you're you you know you were in vacation, he wrote it. You were in Sixteen Candles, he wrote it. You were in Breakfast Club, he wrote it. Did there become a certain expectation of like I will work with Hughes forever? He will put me in everything because there was like that run where it's like him, 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 her, her, her. So check this out. My answer to that is I'll take you to like we're shooting the Breakfast Club now, the second film, arguably the third, if you include the vacation movie, yeah, right? Yeah. So now we're shooting the Breakfast Club at whatever high school that was. It had been shut down. We were sharing it with the USFL at the time. Remember the Chicago Blitz? They used to have the USFL. So we were sharing this. We we're shooting this you know this high school drama in this co in this high school setting mm -hmm. and between takes he comes up to me in the hallway and he goes he goes mike check this out last night i started working on this new thing i go what are you talking about he goes i wrote 30 pages of it last night after we wrapped it's going to be you and another guy right and you guys are going to like invent a girl on the computer 
Oh my God. Hey, we're in the hallway, Kevin. He's like, and I'm like, dude, we're working. You know how it is. You do 12, 13 hour days. <laughs> he went home and wrote the and first wrote 30 pages yeah. of word science, so which is like incredibly prolific, inarguably like a starring role for you. It's like, yes, you and Ian, Ian, Mitch, Ian Mitchell, Smith, Elon Mitchell, Smith. Elon Mitchell, yeah. Smith, yeah. co-stars, but yeah. you know, it was for all intents and purposes, an Anthony Michael Hall vehicle. And to, and to drill down on a little more after we did 16 candles together, I mean, we we're literally buddies. Like we would literally just call and hang out on the phone and shoot the shit and talk mm. about music and films and whatever. So after wrapping 16 candles, I get a call. I'm, I'm back in school. I'm in my mom's house and shit. I'm like dealing with 10th grade. You know, I'm like <laughs> going back to life, <laughs> listening to my Italian Irish mom, like pick up the fucking, go get out, get the garbage out of the house, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> And he calls me and he goes, we're going to do this at the breakfast club. So, yeah, that's how it happened. And so that, at that point, I had, did have that feeling, to your question. I was like, I just this love guy, the guy likes me. I just love the guy. He likes me. We're making each other laugh. I can't believe he's going to keep casting me and employing me. And Where are you living at this point? Upper West Side, New York City. When do you yeah. when do you move? Do you stay there or throughout all I the years? I didn't move out until I was 18. After I did SNL, then I moved west. To, that's what it's and then I wrote a script with Downey and his father. That was the I, I lived and moved to the Chateau Marmont. I had done this film in the same year that I did SNL for that one season, 85, 86, a movie mm -hmm. called Out of Bounds for Columbia. Yes! Yeah, the yeah. fucking action movie. Yeah. The movie yeah. where fucking Anthony Michael Hall goes serious. You know what I'm saying? I was trying to mix it up. And uh, it was like the- So that's when I moved out to LA. Like, like remember that for those the well, I listened to the Shia LaBeouf movie, like yeah, where he yeah, was, yeah. you know, it was like kind of an actioner. Right. It was like that, and the way they kind of like positioned Shia LaBeouf at that point is like, hey, he does more than what you're familiar. Right. He's an action guy. Similar I remember intent. without a bounds, it was like, we're going to take this guy and we're yeah. going to put him into a fish out of the water story and stuff. Similar intent. And Good at movie. The time, that movie I, totally fucking worked. Thanks, I saw that bro. fucking thanks shit in the theaters, man. Yeah. So after the three films with John, my were you scared did, doing that? Though? I was scared of all of it, man. SNL scared me. But at least SNL, it's and like I know how film. to be funny. But like that's yeah. a movie where they're like, yeah. you can't rely on your sense of humor. It's well, about the plot. Do you know what it is? It's also that thing of, I remember with my father being out here, my stepfather was with me and we went and had a meeting with the studio head at the time, this guy named Guy McElwain. He was a nice gentleman. And now life is changing. Like, dude, I'm 18. All of a sudden I'm like with studio heads <laughs> yeah. in Beverly Hills and they're talking about positioning that film. So I yeah. did that film. Just the impetus then was just like, well, I want to try something different. You Fuck know? yeah. They hired a great, cool director, a guy named Richard Tuggle. He had actually worked with Clint. He did tightrope with Clint. Holy shit. And he was cool. And I was a pain in the ass. I was a kid trying to stretch out and I was doing SNL and, Were you, and that so you're film in the same SNL year, at the same time? In the same year. So that my contract with Lauren was reduced from- 18 or 22 episodes to like 12 or 13 and how where were you shooting out of bounds? la so you're doing the flight back right and forth. literally so i i did 13 episodes of snl and then they kind of let me out of my contract so i could go do out of bounds in la that wraps up came out didn't make a big impression at the box office all good learning lesson valuable but then at that point i moved out to la and upon arriving in la i'm living at the chateau marmont downey and i are buddies we're and you guys met on Weird, Weird science. science. Yeah. Because he's and, the one of the jerks. Right. And I brought him to Lauren's attention. He wound up, everybody saw what he had right there. And I wait, brought wait, him to wait, SNL. Wait, wait, I got wait. him. Is that right? SNL. That's legit. Yeah. Because I introduced him to Lauren. So he gets the bridge to SNL for RDJ. Yes, sir. Is, is AMH. Correct. Wow. Correct. So then we do that season. For those that don't follow yeah. or haven't followed or weren't around for them, that season of SNL. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall, Robert Downey Jr., um, Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller Randy begins Quaid. there. Randy Quaid is still saying Nora there. Dunn, Nora Dunn, Terry Sweeney. And uh, uh, Joan Cusack as yes, well. Sir. Crazy cast. Yeah. Um, it yeah. was the first time that 
Lorne had returned after an absence, and he was also like, you know what? You, I can bring familiar faces into this cast. They don't have to be not ready for primetime players. They'll be Perfect. not ready for primetime players, but they don't have to be unknowns. Perfect. Duly noted. So I remember when you yeah. got cast, it was huge for us as kids because you were like the youngest fucking cast member. As somebody who well, loved SNL, I was yeah. like, if that fucking kid could get on, there's a chance. That means a lot to but, me. Thank you. Guys. But at the same yeah. time, it was like, yes, but that fucking kid is Anthony Michael Hall. You were absolutely like in a fucking class all your own. What, you. yeah. One could look at you and be like, oh, shit, one of us. But one could not look at you and be like, oh, I could do that. Like people can look at my first film clerks and be like, oh, shit, I can make a movie about talking to my friends. Nobody could look at like your first three fucking performances and be like, oh, I can act. <laughs> Like it's, <laughs> and especially so in like, much. I know you're yeah. much older now, but especially yeah. in hearing you talk because you are a different person than every fucking character. Thanks. Even yeah. back then, probably as a kid, you weren't like farmer Ted. I was probably the most like farmer Ted. It's funny. I've thought about this in recent weeks by doing all these interviews for Halloween kills. To me, it's almost like farmer Ted leapfrogs into Gary. Yeah. Weird science. It's the same because I was yes, a funny very, kid. Very, you know true, I mean? very Gangly, true. funny, sarcastic. I had that, you know, that capacity and I'm just grateful, man, that they, they saw something in me. So, so yeah, you so bring, back to LA, you so bring RDJ into yeah. it and your yeah. your season, you get let out early so you can go make out of, bounds out of bounds for Columbia. But then the friendship, when you move out to LA, you start working on Johnny Be Good with him and his dad. Before that, we wrote the script, which is really funny. So we, we get together in LA and for a couple of years leading up to that, I became aware of his father, Downey Sr., who's no, who just passed. He just year, passed. Right? He's a filmmaker yeah, as well. He, was he a did uh, Putty Swope. Yeah, just a legendary. You know how I would also qualify, like categorize his talent? He was almost like the Lenny Bruce of independent cinema. Yeah, I would agree. Right? Like just a brilliant satirist. Great brilliant, yeah, yep. incredible. And he became a friend. He was great. And I love Downey Sr. And so Robert suggested. God, you chummed script. around with a lot of adults. Yeah, I did. <laughs> that, yeah exactly. that's what happens yeah. in this yeah. business if you're like yeah. and i don't mean that in a pervy way i no, just no. like yeah. you wound up hanging out with adult intellectuals as well totally oh totally i got more on that but the chateau i have an interesting memory just came to me let me go back to the script do it so i so Downey goes let's write the script so we meet at the chateau marmont because i'm living there Downey's living with sarah jessica parker right down sunset at a house ironically owned by chaplin before he makes chaplin Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. And it's right where the Park Hyatt is. Like, right before the comedy store. Yeah, yeah. All those little side streets. So dig this. So we write the script. The I'll give you the premise, and then I'll just cut to the chase what Downey said, Senior said to both of us after writing this for five weeks. By the way, he would say, every day we would convene at the lame table. All right, boys, I'll see you tomorrow at the lame table, which is my room at the Chateau. <laughs> so we write the script, and after five weeks, the setup was pretty funny. He's a coke fiend, and I'm an alcoholic. We get in a car wreck, and then we wind up at the Resort de uh, uh <laughs> It's like one of these uh, rehab places in Malibu. But not the type in Malibu, but it's actually in Mexico, of course, for, for no reason at all. So we put that in. I thought that was pretty funny. Anyway, after the five and What weeks, year is this, This by is the like way? 86. Okay, uh, uh, just to put a pin in it. 86 yeah. for a rehab comedy is pretty forward fucking thinking. Kind of, yeah. right? And we had just finished SNL. We were just like, man, we don't know what the hell that was, but we had fun. Okay. Right. So after five weeks, this is the funniest line. Downey Sr. turns to the two of us and goes, fuck this script. He goes, I think the script should be two punk actors and an aging uh, director writing a screenplay at the Chateau Marmont. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. So it never went anywhere, but we did write the script. We st I still have it. It's pretty funny. What is it called? It's called Seth and McGuigan. He's Seth and I'm McGuigan. Um, yeah. All right. So what, where does Johnny yeah. Be Good happen then in relation? Johnny Be Good was after that. It was 87. And then I got this offer to do this comedy. 
And the, the, the gentleman who wound up directing it had been Robert Downey Sr.'s editor, this guy named Bud Smith, who was like a veteran editor, super cool guy. Uh-huh. He got the nod to direct the film. And again, it was actually Downey who had to call me because at the time I had, you know, at that brief moment in time, I was, I had more heat than he did in the business. So he asked me if he could be a part of the film and I had sign off approval. I'm like 19. At the RDJ. Time. RDJ. Yeah. And I remember the call and everything. I said, of course, bro. I love you, man. Let's do it. So, so you guys were, so then he joins the cast of, of Johnny Be Good and you piled around for a couple of years then. Yeah, man. We've been buddies. Yeah. So he was in L, you know, he was really more of an LA guy because I lived in New York until I was 25, right. but I would see him all the time. And then. We wrote that script. I was staying at the Chateau, and he was with Sarah Jessica. Funny stuff, man. Um, what is, I remember, like, I was talking to uh, my wife, Jennifer, and I was just like, you're never going to believe this, but fucking Anthony Michael Hall's coming. Or she was like, I never like to see anybody. She was like, but I actually would poke my head in and say hello for that. <laughs> Hi, <Jennifer>. But <laughs> we were talking about, I was doing the, like, you know, because she was talking about, like, God, remember he was so wispy and he got big. And I was like, <laughs> he had that glow up wispy in like in pop culture we all got to see it because there was a generation of us that grew up watching you be scrawny version (laughs) then like fucking uh uh, edward scissorhands happens yeah yeah and suddenly like you become huge like did you have a a a growth spurt or something you know what it was i hired a guy named tom patty who literally I had met. Okay, so watch this. This is all connection. It's really funny. It's like the six degrees of me. I know Bacon's got a game, but I could do one. <laughs> so watch this, Kev. So I'm doing Johnny Be Good, and I hired this guy. So after making The Breakfast Club, Paul Gleason, my great friend. Paul actor, Gleason, who was, was Dean the dad Vernon, yeah. in, um, in, in The Breakfast um, in the in the, wait no Paul Gleason, Paul was, Gleason the, who was the, the Dean the, Vernon you in the Breakfast Club the right ball, you get the horns right there, right yes. right from Breakfast Club and a lot of the films Training Places a lot of great work he was a good buddy man he was awesome. He takes me to see Tyson at the Garden. Tyson and I become friends. This is like 1986, okay? So back to, okay, so Johnny B. Good. So then I get Johnny B. Good, and through Tyson, I met a guy named Tom Patty, who's a friend. Mm. And he was the last fighter along with Tyson to be trained by Custom Motto at the house in the Catskills. Okay. So I called Tom up, and I asked him to kind of train me like a fighter for this football movie. So that's when it happened, Kevin. Then, Johnny B. Good. Bro, I went to his house in Stockton, California, where he grew up. We stayed with his parents, and this dude would wake me up at 3 o'clock. I'd be swinging a tire, like like a, a, a sledgehammer on a tire. So like that shit working out today. Oh, totally, doing the Rocky shit. Like I he, I put on 30 pounds in like six or eight weeks because I trained like a fighter for that for that film. For Johnny B. Good. Correct. And then after that, I did scissor hands, and then from that, I just bulked up. So technically, right. the glow up was in Johnny B. Good. Correct. The training for it, which I put on, I, it was intentional. I said, I want to gain 30 pounds and get bigger. But Johnny B. Yeah. Good didn't connect with the public as much as Edward Scissorhands. Clearly so Most not. people right. fucking think of like, Same that man. was the first moment where right. they're like, oh my God, like right. this guy got fucking huge. Right. And um, the truth is all, in all fairness, no, not to disparage Johnny Depp, but he's kind of a smaller guy. So I also kind of dwarfed him. But I think- That's <laughs> true. Sorry, Johnny. But I also Yeah, you want to talk was, about Wispy, particularly yeah. back then and stuff. But, but a virtuoso actor, we love him, right? I mean- But, but, that, about but I also think performance, with like, Your performance yeah. in that movie is fucking frightening. Yeah. Like for a guy that we grew up <laughs> loving and identifying with, I'll never, there's a shot in the movie where you're fucking pointing right. and he's got like finger writing camera and you sound so fucking harsh, like a real high school fucking bully and shit. And that was like the moment where I was like, oh my God, everybody fucking underestimated this guy. He wasn't one, one fucking flavor, one, one color of the crayon. He, he can flip the fucking script. I appreciate it. And what was interesting is going back when I roll back the time and I think about it, I met with Tim Burton and Tim Burton was so cool, dude. 
I think Tim Burton, I have a theory that he is Scissorhands, and I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> but I, I met with him, and I think he thought right away it would be interesting to kind of flip it, All right? Because right? obviously for the last four years, I'd done these four comedies, Vacation, then the Through It John. It had only been four fucking years prior to Scissorhands? Well, in fairness, no, I did Scissorhands in 1990, so from 83 to 90, in seven years, I did those four movies that all came out and, you know, did Maybe thing. it's because, I wonder if like the rest of I was 20 when I the world- film. Sees it through the same prism, but those those movies are like so huge and loom so large in at least my personal mythology that I assume it goes the way for everybody else. But also, I it's not I don't think it's just me. Like those movies were so culturally fucking important. Vacation so much so that they made a bunch of those fucking movies. Um, all the Hughes stuff. So yeah, man, that's like. Right. And then the three in it's a row with John you're a were all part made. of that. It's yeah. not even like yeah. I was lucky enough to be in it. You're a fundamental battery in that shit. Thank like, you, man. Yeah. you know, it's it's incredible. So, so that, that blows my mind. That's only seven yeah. fucking years. Vacation's 83, comes out in 84. And from 84 to 86, I do three movies in a row with John in two years. Unbelievable. And then and then that brief period of like Johnny Be Good was after that. So Scissorhands, 1990, Tampa, Florida. God, and we go you to shoot that you movie. crammed so much life into 10 fucking years. I joke man, with my wife too and friends. Like it took me twenty, the, the following twenty years to process the first twenty years of my life. <laughs> you would imagine, right? Because because well, I mean, fifteen you, to twenty was like wild. And think about yeah, it. You fundamentally yeah. didn't have the teenage. You you were playing a teenager we all identified with, living a life that none of us could possibly identify. And with. had taken basically a huge time out from my own teenage life to yeah. then go go to work. And but at the same time, I really was that age. I was the age I was playing, which is also kind of interesting. You know, fucking it's fun, man. Yeah. Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith. You know, Smodco and JaneSilentBob.com are housed at WeWork. We're WeWorkers uh, and have been all throughout the pandemic and whatnot. <coughs> WeWork is an amazing service. Uh, it's been amazing for us. Um, we got to move into a turnkey, clean joint. Um, we got uh, tons of space, beautiful views, wonderfully designed uh, architecture. Uh, I'm telling you, WeWork has, has been a wonderful home for Smodco and JayandSilentBob.com, man. Um, if you've received a package from JayandSilentBob.com or from that Kevin Smith Club, came right out of WeWork. Right there, man. We're, we're Jordan and Chelsea and and Luke and Jake. Um, it, uh, so many others. Uh, not too many others. Um work so hard to get you the things you want you're full of desire you're like i want this i want this and they're like we're here to cater to your desire and that's all because we got a place to work out of and that's we work um one we the one where we work out of the we work that we work out of um it's right over by veggie grill convenient as hell right in, right to here in uh i'm not supposed to give out the address <laughs> right here in los angeles and where there are many man there are so many WeWorks. Uh, they got them all over the joint, man. They got uh, 24 major cities across the U.S. and Canada. And what WeWork is offering folks right now is they're giving everyone a free day to check out WeWork and WeWork On Demand. WeWork On Demand unlocks workspaces and conference rooms for $29 a day. You can feel like a professional business person. $29 a day or 10 bucks an hour, man shit uh in 24 major cities like i said across the u.s and canada 
They're offering, WeWork is offering a one-day free trial of WeWork On Demand. Have you ever wanted to know what it's like? Like, I want to know what it's like to have my own private space and work in it and write in it or record a pocket, whatever. Here's your chance for free, man. Uh, visit uh, we.co slash ODDownload and use the promo code Kevin uh, for a one-day free trial. You choose your location, you book ahead, and then you get to work. Is that simple, man? Can you believe it? Look, I don't know anybody else offering free office space, even for a day. So give it a shot. Mark Bernardin, he works out of WeWork. Uh, when we uh, do the home shows of, of Fat Man Beyond, he streams right out of WeWork. And, and when we're not doing that, he just goes there to write. So WeWork, man, it's right down the street from you, probably accessible as hell. And they're like, hey, come in and try it for free FOC, free of charge. So what are you waiting for, kids? Give it a shot. Be a business person or just have your own office for a day, a month, a year. Uh, over at WeWork, man. That's we.co slash OD download and use the promo code Kevin for a one day free trial. WeWork. I work there. What, um, when you get to episodic, like when you do Dead Zone, yeah, what is that like to go from, like, all right, I just have to learn my character for 120 pages. Now I'm working on a thing with three seasons from now. They could tell me this whole time I've been dead. And I'll be like, wait a second. I wasn't playing that. Like, what the fuck? Well, the first thing I would, I would, I would add to that was I went through my twenties just struggling. So like, honestly, episodic television, you know, doing things like murder, she wrote touched by an angel diagnosis, murder. And you know what, man, in all fairness, these were great experiences as well, Kevin, because just like for you, I'm sure directing commercials, like the value in the work is no less important. And it's not lost on you too, because you're like, yo, if I'm not in a big movie now, like when I got those TV shows, that was a big fucking deal. So it's like you right. got to work with Angela fucking Lansbury. And there's the other Van Dyke. Right. And I'm these are names working with that legends were huge that are, for like you were growing exactly. up with these names. So it wasn't exactly. even like, oh, these are old people in the business too. You exactly. were like, I grew up watching this motherfucker. Exactly. So basically in a few paragraphs, that's my 20s, right? And then I get the dead zone. Where are life. you living in your 20s? Here or here there? in LA. I moved out here when I was 25. Copy that. Right. So by the time that dead zone comes along, I'm now in my early 30s. I've kept alive. I'm surviving. I'm making a career and, you know, making a living, still doing my thing, mostly on television. And then the dead zone came up and it was a gentleman named Michael Piller who mm. created the show. He was a guy, he was a, was a, he was a wonderful guy, man. He started out in standards and practices. And he wanted, Are you kidding? Yeah. For those and, who don't know what that is, that's yeah. the person at the network that's like, you like can't ethics. say this. You can't say this. You, you can't say this. Say this. He, they'll, they, if this is too far and they trim it out. So yes, sir. that so, dude started doing that job. Right. So in the 70s, he's doing that. Next thing you know, he aligns with the great Gene Roddenberry and he creates Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and kind of becomes a self-taught writer. So Holy he becomes shit. a showrunner, executive producer. I mean, talk about a self-made man yeah, like yourself. So he was awesome. So he gave me the dead zone. And I won't mention what name, agency, but- they originally turned it down on my behalf. And it was because he was persistent. It was a classic kind of agency story. You get lost in the shuffle sometimes. Right. And then after his second or third attempt, um, I was offered the dead zone. Yeah. And then the other thing, the thing that happened before that, that really drew his attention is when I played Gates. So he had seen me play uh, Bill Gates. Noah Wiley played Steve Jobs. Oh, my God. Of- I 
fucking love that movie. Thanks, man. Pirates the Pirates of Silicon, of Silicon Valley. Valley. Yeah, that yeah. is so fucking good. I, I went, there was a time where it wasn't available streaming. I went yeah. and bought that shit like oh, cool. a, a bootleg copy on Great. fucking eBay. Thank you. So that yeah. we can watch it all the time. Me and the wife fucking love that so movie. Mr. I forgot about that. Right. So Mr. That was like a TNT movie Correct. or something. Exactly. Yeah. One of their first. First time they spent a bunch of money on it. got a great memory. Shit. Exactly. So he you basically. fucking him too. That was a thanks, great man. performance. Thank you. So that's 1999. So Michael Pillar sees that and gives me the Wait a second. Zone. What do you do for that performance? Do you have to fucking like not work out for a minute? Well, totally that thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was always, I've always been lazy with working out anyway, so it wasn't a big thing. But basically, I worked with a great coach named Steve Bridgewater who coaches and in the past has worked with Pitt and Depp and other people. He was a friend of the producer named Nick Lombardo. You got his voice too. The way yeah, he goes and, up when he talks like yeah. this. Yeah. And so what we did, Kevin, is we worked for six weeks before I started the film and he was like my private coach for that movie. Mm. And that's what we did. And the funniest shit is the day one of our first session at TNT, we're in the conference room with big tables, like 14 chairs. And he and I at the end looking at each other and he breaks out a legal pad. He goes, Mike, we're going to set a list of goals. And I'm like, this dude's thinking like Bill Belichick or like, he's like mm -hmm. looking at it like a coach, right? Mm -hmm. It's killer. First goal, what he goes, and he looks at me, Kevin, he goes, do you want people to see you or Bill Gates? You know what I said, right? I mm -hmm. go, Gates. Second goal, I go, dude, like on a whim, I go, um, I want the film to be nominated for some Emmys. Turns out, though, it was. It was nominated for five Emmys. Yeah. So I had no, you know, so it was really just about him kind of sort of teaching me to train my mind to set goals. Fucking I. Isn't that cool? So then from that, Mr. Pillar saw me and gave me the dead zone. So two years later, I'm shooting the pilot for dead zone. Up in Vancouver. Vancouver. That's that's right. Vancouver. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Is she Canadian? Yeah. Right. She actually is Slovakian, but she had moved from her country right. to Canada. Okay. She was living in Vancouver. So not only did you get a cool job, you got a cool rest of your life. You're not kidding. I'm a lucky man. Um, Man, I forgot. I've been now, I, when you're leaving, I'm going to go watch fucking Burke. It's all good, man. Yeah. yeah it's, that was a good, I pretty good movie. I love that movie. Yeah. It was really well yeah. done. Martin Burke, the director. And I remember the, um, you know, years ago, what's his fuck? Did a, a what's his fuck? Uh, a, a Aaron Sorkin did a, you know, a, a oh, he did the Jobs, Jobs movie. movie, Jobs, which, called. you know, yeah. wonderful, but like, I, prefer pirates we've Thank seen you. iterations yeah. of his story but i've always preferred like that yeah. version of it and that, how they kind of like uh charted both of your stories separately then crossed them over and stuff it's like you've got two movies out of them movie. yeah no i appreciate it yeah it's interesting when you watch jobs you can almost tell that the, he watched pirates yeah valley right but i love sorkinism what a great you know writer. did you ever hear from gates this is so funny, Kevin. I called, I had the balls for some reason. I decided to call Gates at, at Microsoft and, and request a meeting about what I would have no fucking idea, nor would I. So I get a call back from a guy named, now this is so funny because he had the identical name of this great comedian. You'll remember this guy, John Panette. Remember that? Yeah, 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 the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. He was great. Do the high voice. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Right. People are like, are you this fat? No, I just blow myself up before the fucking, <laughs> before I come out here. <laughs> yes. This guy was great. But anyway, it was a, a Microsoft employee who happened to be named John Panette. And the guy calls me back one day. I'm at home, like, fucking off. I don't know what I was doing. Bring, I pick up the phone. Mr. Hall, uh, John Panett, I work for Mr. Gates. And I'm like, mic drop. I'm like, oh, shit, this is crazy. He got the message somehow, right? <laughs> so he goes, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Gates doesn't have time in his schedule to meet with you. But uh, he wanted you to know that he really appreciates all the comments on the ramp up to the release of Pirates of Silicon Valley. And I went, bingo. Because, dude, I was just doing it on a whim. I was just dis I was just doing it to see if he'd call me back. Right, I did that right. with Nicholson once. <laughs> and he did. He called you back? Nicholson called me back, but also so did Gates' office. It was pretty cool. What did Nicholson... <laughs> so you just called Nicholson and be like, this is Anthony Michael Hall, I'm a fan. Well, when I met him, it was through Kelly LeBrock. I was doing Weird Science, right. and I was offered Full Metal Jacket. So Kelly, who's still a friend... Wait, wait. So you yeah, can't roll over shit like that so fucking fast. So wait a second. <laughs> 
because of Kelly LeBrock, you know Kelly LeBrock, and because you know Kelly LeBrock, you get to meet Jack Nicholson. But this, who While making you? Weird Science. But where does this uh, okay, so Full I'm Metal sh- Jacket come in? Yeah, I'm shooting Weird Science, and I get a call from Marty Bauer, who's a great legend of our business. He's, he was one of the founders of what became UTA. Mm-hmm. Took me on when I was 15 after 16 Candles. And he tells me, look, Stanley Cooper, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I can remember the call. He goes, Stanley Kubrick is interested in you for this, uh, to play a platoon member in his upcoming Vietnam epic. And uh, I was like, great. Okay, cool. Next day, he calls me back. He goes, actually, he's interested in you for the lead. He's going to call you tomorrow. So you would have been Joker? Oh, no, dude. Yeah, totally. So watch what happens. I get up at like 7 o'clock. The call's going to be at 9. I'm staying at the Sheridan premiere next to the Universal tour, right. which is where we were like placed because Universal had to deal with them, right? Right. So I'm there pacing the room, Kevin. I'm like, oh, shit. He's telling Kubrick's going to call. It's like fucking meeting the Wizard of Oz, right? right. You're like, oh, shit. This is crazy. Bring! I pick up the phone. Stanley? He goes, Michael, this is Stanley Kubrick. And I'm speaking like a deep guttural voice, literally like the Wizard of Oz, right? He goes, I just screened 16 candles three times. And then he pauses. I was like, <laughs> making a fucking what the fuck face, right? He goes, and I have to tell you this. Michael, I think you're my favorite actor I've seen since I saw Jack and Easy Rider. Dude, I was like... He literally said that to me, Kevin. Stanley Kubrick said that to I you. I swear to you. And, and it blew me away to this day. The only reason I mention it is because I love Stanley Kubrick and I love him. Not to tap, you know, blow my own horn. But I didn't know Humble that Brag. That's a true bro. story. Yeah, isn't that crazy? But here's how it got deeper. Then he started talking about the great uh, Russian director Eisenstein and yeah. Chaplin because I'd asked him some of whose influences were. And he also mentioned a German director, a famous guy from the 20s. I can't remember his name. It was an interesting phone call, man. It was really interesting. So he offers me full metal jacket so then my father happened to be on the west coast still i had to go to his attorney's house a gentleman named louis blau who literally lived on the same street in bel-air as the fucking where the beverly hillbillies house was like <laughs> and for those who don't know bel-air it's like the upper echelon of beverly hills it's like yeah it's a, it's a gated community of right a gated yeah. community of old hills. school money but ton, you know very wealthy to do area in hollywood anyway so i had i went to his house with my father and he was an older gentleman at that time and this is 1986 and uh, he leads me to the to the kitchen, and I sit down, I read a numbered script, and it said on the cover page, I never forgot, it was a silhouetted drawing of a bunch of paratroopers, like, landing. And he had kind of melded two projects, the, the Short Timers and Dispatches, or two books that Stanley optioned that became the basis of what became the screenplay for Full Metal. Mm. So I read the script, and um, all I could say, Kevin, is what ensued is unbelievable. To this day, it blows my mind. We... We began an eight-month negotiation process with Stanley Kubrick and my his attorney, Louis, and my stepfather. And it was amazing. At one point, Louis Blau called my father, Tom, and said to him, um, he, he, he had the commission of asking him, he, he wanted to know if Tom had read a book called Nuclear Negotiations because we literally was like an eight-month negotiation. Now, it was <laughs> over the, this, isn't this a crazy story? Yeah. It was over the money. You can buy a house in less time than that. Well, less time. I, you know, exactly. So it was just a really crazy, drawn-out thing, and it was about money, but it wasn't. And then, ultimately, I just decided against it. And I think at the time, my stepfather, my mother, too, they were just concerned about if I was mentally there, capable of dealing with this How kind of project. How old were you at that point? I'm 18. I was still a kid, but right. you know what I mean? But going there to go shoot a war movie. So cut to, it's a great film, and I love it to this day. And I love Matthew Modine. He's a good guy. Was it close to the script that you read? Yeah, it was. It was very interesting. It was. And then I run into Modine two years later. I'm like at the plaza, in front of the, walking by the, the plaza in New York City, and I see Modine, and we start talking. And I go, dude, by the way, how long did he sh- do wind up shooting on Full Metal Jacket? He goes, 54 weeks. 
54 weeks. Oh my God. I mean, so Kubrick was really methodical yeah. to say the least. And you know, he really, took we heard during the, the eyes wide shut shoot, how long that fucking took. Same story. So really interesting. So to this day, I still admire Stanley Kubrick. I love him. I think about him as we all do. We love his films. He was just an innovator. I mean, they're just master works. But films. wait, take me back. So he yeah. says that you're his, one of his favorite performers since seeing Jack in five easy pieces. And then I told what? Kelly that, and then that's when she called Jack and then she took me up to Nicholson's house. Kelly, oh my god! I this is what, a, what an eighty sentence. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, Kelly, the brought you. I'm not like, it's not lost on me, bro. I'm like, did this shit really happen to me? What? Uh, what was that like? And this is Jack Nicholson, circa what year? Eighty what? Eighty six. So, probably like witches of Easter. I was Jack. just gonna say, which witches of Easter? Did he? Is it a <laughs> so mistake, or did he do yeah, it yeah, to us on do purpose? It? My favorite line too. <laughs> oh, dude, we're on the same page. So. Okay, so again, life gets even more surreal. So now Kelly LeBrock, who's at the time married to a French gentleman named Victor Dre of mm. Dre's, and if you know the Vegas, great guy. They wound up not being married for too long. It's irrelevant. She picks me up in a in a gold corniche at the Sheridan premiere to take me to Nicholson's house. Okay. This shit is crazy. Hmm. We drive up Mulholland, and Mulholland, if anybody's been here, it's like it sits atop the mountains, and you can see like the valley and all of the city, and it's pretty cool. Windy road. We go through his gates. And Kevin, there's Nicholson, literally, dude, shooting free throws by himself, wearing a USA Olympic sweatshirt ensemble, right? So I turn around, Nicholson is literally sh firing off free throws in the driveway by himself. And you're like, dude, I mean, Nicholson's like, uh, my favorite. I love Nicholson to this day. So he does a fucking totally, like one of these, Kevin, the open palm, pull the hair back like he does in all of his movies. All right. One of these, like you'd see in The Shining, and looks our way. He goes, come on in. I'm going to take a shower. I can't do it, Nicholson. He goes, come <laughs> on in. I'm going to take a shower. I'll be down in a few minutes. Kelly parks the Rolls Royce. I'm like, my life. I'm bugging out, dude. I'm 17, 18. Right? Right. Okay. Ding dong. We park the car. We we come into like a cool, and it's not even like a big mansion. It was a pretty modest house. But right. We lived next to Brando. I didn't know at the time. But ding dong, we come in through the side entrance, kitchen door, and there's Angelica Houston at the door. Oh, that's right. They're dating during all this, man. Right. Right. But Jack had a lot of lady friends and the whole thing. Anyway, so Angelica Houston gives Kelly LeBrock kind of the side eye, but they kind of knew each other and they were like, yeah, hey, come on in. She was gracious anyway. <laughs> right, right, right. And so next thing you know, he, Angelica Houston leads us into Nicholson's living room. Okay. So if I can paint a picture of everybody for Jack's house, there's like beautiful paintings everywhere. Sinatra's playing low. Angelica Houston's like making dinner for him. Now Jack's in the shower. I'm bugging out. Okay. I'm like, okay. So then Kelly and I sit down in the living room. Angelica Houston disappears. Jack Nicholson comes down. Bro, this is hilarious. He sits down across from me, just like we're sitting here in your office here. Kelly's on my left. There is, like this, a beautiful silver, this is an ashtray, but there's like a silver dish sitting on the coffee table between us. I'll never forget this. was ripped dollars, hundreds, twos, whatever it was, just ripped money. It was like an art piece. I'm going, wow, okay. Jack's got it like that. He's ripping up money. <laughs> so five minutes later, Jack comes down. Dude, I swear to you, literally in what you're wearing, he's wearing a navy blue robe. He just took a shower. He literally does what you did. He picks up a dupe, fires it, mm -hmm. tokes it, hands it to me. He goes, uh, so Kelly told me you're going to be working with Stanley. You might have some questions. <laughs> Dude, but watch this. So then the phone rings. He pops up and goes to get a call. Now, this is classic Jack, and I'll never forget this because this guy played for the Knicks. What was his name? Ray Williams. He was a guard. He pops up and starts talking basketball, and this one player, and, and what, were his, what were his stats at St. John's before he went pro, and blah, blah, blah. 
finishes that call, sits back down, and proceeds to tell me about working with Jack. Okay, so here's what he says. This is epic, dude. Working with Stanley. Stanley, excuse me. Jack proceeds to tell me about working with Stanley on The Shining. He goes, well, you know, when, when we got there, you know, uh, Shelly Duvall, you know, she was being a little, you know, she wanted things a certain way, and she wanted to stay in London town and and not out in the you know in the in the in the rural area where Stanley in the studio were, I guess, or whatever. And he proceeds to tell me about how they shot the movie, and he said it was minimum thirty takes of setup on The Shining. Oh my God! So Kubrick was you know, and I think there's been a lot, as you and I both know, as cinephiles, there's been a lot written about that. But mm. I think you basically see Shelley Duvall coming undone during the making. When of you film. watch, yeah, when you watch that documentary behind the scenes, he was, I mean, from like. From from my perspective, unnecessarily cruel. Like at the end of the day, it's like you know, if if the actor's not giving you what you want, guess what? Fire the actor, get somebody else. Right, right. But like that seemed like a real. I mean, I hear you. You can't argue with the re- the results, I guess. In as much as it's a wonderful movie and she's great in it, yeah. but like, you know, is anything worth point taken? And the thing is, too, his sort of final note on Kubrick was he would do it again in a second, right. but he was inferring some of what you just alluded to right. you know what i mean and so, we know like during eyes wide shut what was uh what was it harvey Keitel, like was in it and then was asked he, to come back oh, okay. for reshoots and he was like i'm not doing this wow. and so what was it uh, did he Sydney, replace him with pollock and he oh, took wow. over it was great in that role it was wonderful wow um so Keitel said no no not enough yeah he, he and he had already been on camera but Got like it. it was one of these protracted like, this has gone on for too long. I'm not doing this. And you know what it makes me think? Again, that my parents loved me and cared because they, instinctively they knew that maybe I wasn't prepared mentally to right. deal with that, bro. You know what I mean? So that was just an interesting thing, man. But nonetheless, to this day, I, I really do. I think about him. I still study his films like you. You know, like we study filmmakers, people that we love and their influence. But uh, great experience. Um, you worked with uh, one Batman director, and then years later, you worked with another Batman director in an actual Batman fucking picture. How'd you wind up great in point. Dark Knight? Great point. Great setup. From Tim Burton to Nolan. Yeah. So I auditioned for Nolan. He was there in the room with his wife back in 2007. He was great. He's very um, understated, very British, Which has is- a great sense of humor. He's got this kind of cool smile. I read for another role, and then he basically did one of these, come back in, you might have another idea as you're reading an actor, and go, oh, right. try this, and come back. We did that. And then I didn't hear anything for like two months. So I think that was like the circulation of the tapes and whatever. It's just laying the studio and everybody weigh in. And then I got the role, and it was a different role. It was the role of the newscaster. Nice little small part, all good. No small parts, only small actors. So I took and also, it off. And also, a I was stoked, massive dude. movie. Like, no Kevin, such thing so as a small excited. part. I would have played a fucking, like a cop who Agreed. gets drunk off of the Me bridge. Me too. I would have done fucking craft service on a dark yes, night if exactly. I could. So anyway, so I finish up the dead zone. My crew was awesome. They were kind enough to kind of, we had a, the schedule was a little wonky and they basically backed me up and I was able to leave it a little bit early on my final season of the dead zone. I fly to London to start work on the dark night. Amazing. Amazing experience. Mm. So what can I tell you about that? Well, Wait, you had to go to London? Yeah, I shot. It was actually the first day of production was my stuff in the news studio. And we shot it at a university that was not like Cambridge, but it was one of those really nice universities. It was about 90 miles outside of London town proper. So we shot there. And it was really funny. They were doing a thing where it was supposed to be a call-in that the Joker made that they had pre-taped with Heath's voice. But Mm -hmm. the tape kept fucking up. And so when we were shooting the scene and he was doing a slow push in on the other actor who's on my news set, I started ad-libbing as, as Heath and I did the voice, you know, whatever that effect. Mm-hmm. 
So he got a kick out of that. We had a laugh that day. But there's a funny moment. I got to tell you this. As a director, you'll love this. At one point later in the day, and I'm feeling cool. I'm like, oh, shit. This guy, they made memento. I'm like making the fucking dark night. This is crazy, right. dude, right? And, and mind you, like now everyone's like Chris Nolan is Chris Nolan. Memento was a cool movie. Um, you know, um, the, the other Insomnia. one, Insomnia was a yeah, cool movie. Yeah. Batman Begins was a cool movie, but it was not what the Dark Knight would become. Thank you. He would be like that, that, with that movie, he took a massive fucking jump. Thank you. Which then allowed him into to go the make culture Interstellar yes. and all these other great films. And Absolutely. And right Inception, on the point. Yeah. So one day it was just a funny little story about an exchange we had. So I roll up on him and it was like very austere, very British, like just kind of looking ahead and, I kept, every time I would look at him, Kevin, I was like, this dude feels like Alfred Hitchcock. Like he felt like he was 75 years old. Right. Like, I don't know what that means because he didn't look that way, but he just carries himself like a wizened old man. Well said. Okay. Dumbledore. So, yeah, Dumbledore. Totally. <laughs> so I roll up on him. This is really, you're going to dig this as a filmmaker. I go, so yo, Chris, who are some of your favorite act, uh, directors? Dude. And this is the rhythm which he gave me his response. He didn't look at me, Kevin. He's just right here. Hmm. And I could vibe that. So I wasn't like waiting right, for him to right. look at me. Right? I go, so Chris, who, who are your favorite filmmakers? He goes, Malik, Ridley, <laughs> and then he goes, and Kubrick for a sense of control. I was like, peace <laughs> out, dude. I'll see you at lunch. <laughs> I think he was kind of fucking with me, but he literally said it like that. Deadpan, I, Malik, I Ridley. I don't know that he has a sense of humor, so I think you got the real answer right there. That dude lives and breathes the the art, man. He's, he really he does is film, man. and he was cool. Like to be fair, like he had laughs on set. I would see him; he was cool, but he would take the piss out of him too because I think he knows that he commanded that kind of air, mm. not unlike a Hitchcock or something. But you're right on it. But it was at the beginning of his ascent as this real auteur, you yeah, know. But I love Memento. Remember that movie, man? He it's was wonderful. Great. Following is great movie too. Yeah, like his very Following. first thing he ever did. But like, and he and his wife told me they did that on weekends with friends. Yeah, and it took like a year and a half. It was the only, short ends. I, I would I would assume like the likes of Chris Nolan would not know who the fuck I am, except oh, I he gave an interview where he talked about following. He's like, in those days, Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez awesome. were making movies, so I said, why can't I and shit? And I was like, <gasps> isn't, that great? Nolan, was mine. isn't that great? <laughs> right on, no, what is cool. the, obviously we heard about the Nichols thing, uh, yeah. thing which is a uh, cool we, story. We can right? hear you a very yeah. cool story. And we can hear that you were starstruck. <laughs> Who else have you been <laughs> starstruck over the years to have met in this business? Oh, you know what? When I was a kid, I met De Niro a few times. He didn't have anything to say to anybody. Right. I read something in a book, and it described him perfectly. He's very – because I'm actually kind of friends with his son, Raphael. He's a great guy. He's in real estate now. I read something about De Niro once, and it nailed it perfectly. It's like he just – he didn't really interact or talk because it was like a group dinner. And this is like in the late 80s, and I'm just a punk kid sitting at a table. But he, he said, the writer said, he considers you. So De Niro, I just like, at least when I was a younger kid, and we right. met, he was just like, he just, not unlike how he looks at people in movies. Yeah, that side eye kind of thing. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> That's too funny. But uh, when I was growing up, dude, you know what it was, bro? It was like, it's that scene and do the right thing. When 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 Totoro was talking to Spike Lee, because my heroes were like Eddie Murphy and right. I mean, Prince. I always loved Prince. I thought I was a huge Prince fan. I just thought he was a genius musically. So as a kid, back to SNL, dude, I was at home in the 70s watching SNL. And in high school, when Eddie blew up, I loved Eddie, man. I still do. I When I think of you on Eddie SNL, I think of you and Damon Wayans, who was also on that season as well. Right. 
together. I remember you guys doing a sketch where you were like zoning out. We were two junkies. Two junkies. But by the way, back to standards and practices, we couldn't say it, so we called it the two Joneses. You weren't allowed allowed to say junkies in 1985. Are you fucking shitting me? I swear to God, dude. So was that meant to be a recurring? Was it a recurring? It kind of was. It kind of was. It was also based on the old crazy, uh, crazy Eddie, crazy Eddie spots. Remember? That's why it was kind of like Jersey. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of based on that, Kevin. And it but was it was also, you nodding out during the spot. right, right, <laughs> like on the nod, trying <laughs> nice. to be like Crazy Eddie and sell TVs. That was a gimmick. Yeah, <laughs> right. so it was funny. And Damon was really a great guy, man. He was hilarious. We kind of we had an inside joke between us because this is really funny. I got to tell the story because he went on to great success. He got fired on SNL, and here's why. It was 1985. Griffin Dunn was hosting. Okay. And at the time, Miami Vice was the shit. Remember? It was like bigger than the movie business, the TV show. Yeah, Miami Vice. huge, huge. So, <laughs> so Griffin and the writers had written a sketch for Griffin and for Damon to play Crockett and Tubbs. All right. Damon was not having it, dude. He just felt because he would start out. So what Lauren does, it's like the farm league. So when you're a featured player, right. you're not in the cast, but you're on the show. So it's like the farm league being integrated with the big league. Right. So- so he wasn't happy with it. He kind of made that known to Lauren, and he did something on air, which fucked everybody up. What he wound up doing on Living Color when he came out as in Men on Film with his brother, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he played it very gay and over the top and yeah, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. He did that live, and so he played Tubbs or Crockett, Crockett, Crockett and Tubbs. The Philip and he C- played it effeminate, yes, without telling anybody. Right, he got fired the next day. <laughs> I mean, you that now. Let's talk about why. That's kind of wild. Because, because, it's, what, because not because it was it had nothing to do with him playing gay or whatever. It was no, just, because that he was threw 1980 Lord, whatever. To right, and he threw Lauren for a curve. He threw a curve at him because he basically didn't. He unannounced. He changed the performance and he played it like he did on Men on a Film, which was pretty. I thought it was hilarious, but he wound up getting fired, unfortunately. Now, what happens in a moment like that? Like for everyone else, like is Griffin Dunn mad? I don't remember because I wasn't in the sketch. I was probably right. backstage, Kevin, or in the in the rooms, you know. But Lauren would be the one who would get the maddest because it's his show. I'm not speaking okay, like I can't speak to his response because I never actually saw it. But I think it, it obviously pissed him off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It, it pissed Lauren off. But the irony of that is that he goes on to create Living Color with his brother, and they were just great. And that was one of the most popular sketches when yes. he and his brother would do the two gay guys, you know, doing film reviews. It was hilarious. It was what um, what was you know they talk about those SNL like after parties and shit where they still doing it like Caroline? Oh, it's incredible. Like, yeah, it would be like whatever the hipster restaurant was in Soho at the time, mm-hmm. which was a new spot. The end of the year party was sick too because we'd do it right before the ho- or actually the break in the year before we come back in the spring because we do it at the rink downstairs oh, at 30 shit. rock you know and uh Did so the parties were sick you'd work six days a week on that show you do the show twice you probably learned from other yeah, from you know, like the rehearsal right show and, then and then and then the party everybody looked forward to the parties man and it was just and like, you're a teenager awesome. so you must have really been looking forward to the party of course loving it man so you'd be up till 6 a.m on sunday morning you know <laughs> and you and so but by episode 13 you were able to duck out and go do the flip. yeah and then quite honestly i wasn't really asked back so i think that you know i think that you know uh, and also a just lot of, of heat kid. off of your yeah. announcement too like when they announced yeah. it was like that was a big well number one lauren coming back and number two bringing established yeah. performers and, and in all fairness you know like i wish oh i God, could you and randy were in vacation as well right vacation together right another connection yeah, yeah that's fucking crazy but lauren i mean I, I my hat's off to him i was so honored that he i got the call i was honored to have worked for him he created that format as you got as you know man yeah. and he's just uh he was great he was very generous a great guy to work for he would take us to yankee games he took downey and i and nicholson to a yankee game one night he was a diehard yankee fan the fuck kind of childhood did you have dude it was surreal <laughs> it was literally did, surreal did hughes ever come see you on snl 
No, because at that time, John was very a guy who liked to stay close to home. And what had happened, Kevin, is he moved out to L.A. after his initial success with the films that I was a part of. Mm-hmm. Had the big studio deal, moved to Brentwood. Did he really? Yeah. And then I can't say how long, but he just it wasn't for him. So about a year or two, maybe later, he moved back to Chicago. Where, from what I understand, like anytime I've gone there to do press or, yeah. or events, uh, you know, from the beginning of my career, I was mm-hmm. always like, who knows who's? Like, I was always looking for info. Cool. Shit. Cool. That dude built an infrastructure for production, like, and owns a piece of it and owned pieces of stages. People were telling me, they're like, he didn't, he didn't just write and direct movies. He was a smart cookie. He was, life. man. He really was. And I think it ultimately just like it, re- he just reverted back to Chicago where he was from. He was comfortable that way. Do you the other thing he could know, that? this is just a side note, he loved Beamers. He always had new BMWs. Is that right? And I remember just like, every time I got one of his cars, it was like he had three of them at all times. It was awesome. He loved BMWs, but anyway. Do you remember uh, the last time you talked to him? Okay, this is another cool story. 1988 or 89, okay. he calls me with John Candy. Oh my God. And Kevin, we just sat on the phone for like two and a half hours, like the three of us. They were just bullshitting. It's like we were all in the same room. And he talked about doing a remake or, or, or a sequel to The Breakfast Club when they were, you know, if they were older at that point. At the time, we were in our 20s. So I think it, it interested him to kind of pick up on that, whether we were in our 20s or 30s or whatever. Um, so that was just one thing that came up. But what's interesting is Was he that, shooting Uncle Buck at this point? or was he just Well, he must have done The Great Outdoors because at oh, that that's point, right. what happened was he and John's family, they really did become great friends. And they really did take family vacations together. As, and that's what The, the outdoors, family outdoors was. And, and the they, Candy family? Which becomes the impetus for The Great Outdoors. Is that right? Yeah. So Ackroyd's playing Hughes. And Hughes and Candy's playing himself because they would take vac- vacations together as families. And Hughes is uh, Hughes was like the Ackroydy obnoxious character well my point being it was based on their friendship and right. that they would take family vacations together right, right. and it was subsequent to uncle buck right so i think great outdoors is after that if i'm not mistaken i think you're right yeah. if not so yeah. they met on uncle buck and, and then he like, was just friends. like so the same way he like took a shine to you took a shine to uh molly took a shine to macaulay yeah. Culkin. he yeah. took a shine to like john definitely Kennedy. he definitely. made a couple movies with him he did and john candy man to this day kevin uh I, one of the i mean hands down one of the nicest people i've ever met in my life Valerie Harper, for whatever reason, just came to mind. I worked with her on Touched by an Angel. Also, like they're people you meet in your life that they're just, they come out of themselves and they're bigger than what you might know their fame to be or whatever. Right. John Kenny was like that. He was awesome and he was wonderful. We shot vacation. We were at Magic Mountain. Now, this is a quick vacation story. It was funny. The original ending was not at the park. The original ending had us going to Roy Wally's house, who was played by the great Eddie Brackett. Yeah, who's in the movie briefly. Dude, when he's like, having, oh, what's going on here? He comes to the park. The original ending is we hi- kidnapped him and we hijack him at, a, at his house in Bel, in Bel Air. <laughs> and the original final ending of the movie was we interrupt him at a, at a, at a business lunch poolside at his, Malib- at his Malibu estate. That's the original ending. So cut to they test screen the movie. And everybody was like, so wait you, a minute. You guys shot that ending? Yes, we shot it. The audience didn't like it. So we shot that ending. They screened it. They loved the movie. But everybody, now this is where the cards come in. Because yeah. Warners was smart. They were probably one of the first students to do that. The test screenings, right? They came back and everybody said unanimously, we want to see them get to the fucking park. They never made it to Wally World. Cut to nine months later. Are you, wait, so. We reshot the ending, which is the ending that it's in. That's so it was, so in your original version. That we you never shot, made it to Wally World. Are you fucking kidding I me? I swear to you. 
It was at Eddie Bracken's or Walt, me, Roy, Walt, right, Walt Disney's house. Who, who he's playing because so you got to the park. The park was closed, and then they were Not like, even We're, <laughs> "You didn't even get as far as getting no. to the park and racing to no, the front." He no, 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 we didn't. We literally went. Oh, excuse me. Wait a minute. That had to be there. Yeah, because it's closed. And then right. you're like, we want justice. So instead of going to buy a pellet gun, you went to. But the fucking- it might have been the other way too, Kev. Because the way I remember it is, we shot that entry where we arrive and it's closed the same day we shot getting the in. other stuff. Right, right, right. So I think so. Whatever it was, but basically the original ending was we go to Roy Wally's house and hijack a business lunch poolside, hold, stick him up at gunpoint. And then he calls it off like, oh, he's a good guy after all. We won't we won't prosecute. The same thing essentially happens like at the you got park. It. So they transferred that bit and then they rewrote the ending and then they hired Candy and it became us taking the rides. So the Candy park. was never in it never up until that point. You got it. And that's the first Candy Hughes crossover, even though they also didn't work together. Bingo. How fucking strange. Isn't that cool? Man. So we shot that ending later. And it was funny because puberty kicked in. And Magic Mountain, like right? Didn't you guys shot the end at Magic Mountain. That's right. Wait, so if you go back and look at it, you look different? Literally. You'll see it. Is that I'm right? I'm like blonde and I'm about five foot two. And all of a sudden, I'm like five foot eight with a big pimple on my chest. <laughs> <laughs> scrawny legs, the whole shit. So, and then the other thing, which is a really funny kind of side note, is uh, I'm the only one who could fit with with John. God bless him in, in the, the car. in the yeah, car. Even the, even Dana Barrett, my who's a friend to this day. Well, you were wispy. I was wispy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, where he's like, he no, great. don't don't do that. When you but you know, he was up. so cool too, Kevin. Because we get to the set, and I remember just joking because John and I would always laugh. We'd watch SCTV together because we were fans of his before before he, he worked with him. John That's on crazy. this movie. And I remember the Schmengi brothers. Remember that? Yeah, of course. Hey, hey, baby. The Schmengi brothers, Josh and Stan Schmengi. They talk like this. So I, so basically, I told John the day that I met him at Magic Mountain that that cracked me up, and he was such a sweetheart. He just would make me laugh, and he goes, "Okay, Mike, we're gonna make you an honorary uh, Schmengi. You're gonna be Linsk Schmengi. That's right, Josh, Stan, and Linsk Schmengi." So I mean, this awesome. is how. So he was Uncle Buck, dude. He was like just great. Just, and fucking Eugene Levy was in that movie too. You acted with Eugene Levy. Eugene You're in the Levy. fucking scene with yeah. the car. We shot that in Burbank, the car dealership. Yeah. <laughs> Easy, Russ. Where's my car? <laughs> <laughs> and even that wasn't lost on me. He was another legend. I loved him. Yeah, he came from the SCTV. He was a schmangy. God damn stuff. Fucking storied career, man. When do you write the book? I got more movies to make, man. I, you know, I thought about that, but I mean, I'm 53 now. I'd like to wait a while. I feel like I really want to do a lot more, you know. Well, I, really I mean, do. you could definitely yeah. do more, but still fucking write the book. I, I mean, think I will eventually. Man. Heavens, because yeah. you yeah. like think about it. You've got a chart from pre 10 yeah. to now. That's like 40 plus years. I'm also thinking of like a show, like a one man show. I'm working on developing <gasps> that. Actually, you would honestly. Yeah. I'm 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 sitting here listening yeah. to you talking. This is something that like is not. It's it's not a thing. You yeah. like I rarely hear you out there in the world doing interviews. I know. I, I've often you know kind of veered from it. You know what's interesting is like well, first of all I have a friend. He and his wife they're in Vegas. They have a company, a country, um, excuse me, a club called Fremont Country Club, and they're mm-hmm. building a hotel. So my friend Carlos and my friend Ava, we're in talks about doing that. I'd like to maybe do a one man show. So we're we're developing that. Um, God yes, yeah, you can man, easily thanks. fucking an Fun. evening with like you could just yeah. sit there and fucking yeah. tell stories, man. Because yeah. like even just sitting here. You got them well structured, like Thanks, fucking, yeah. they're, and they're they're fun, and it's like, oh my god, you well, you know what's names it, dropping out of the, the fucking sky. stuff, like yeah. the science. Like I've learned that over the years, like doing these you when know, you do the Q and A's, yeah, exactly. And that's what really got me sharp and just telling and sharing the stuff with. Is people. that it's right fun. on the concert? Yeah, it's fun. That's the kind of same yeah. thing here, like doing the Q and A's after film festival screenings right. on the concert. Like 
So what I did is I put together Creates a drive-in a pop-up tour last summer. We went to Texas, my wife and I, and I partnered with a company called Evo. Yeah. And I did like a mini film festival of my own stuff. And then I brought in Robert Patrick. We did Aliens. Downey showed up. We we screened Johnny Be Good and and one of our other and Weird Science. Sean Astin's a buddy. We screened uh, Goonies and some other stuff. Fucking hell. So from that, that gave me the idea to do a pop-up tour during COVID. And we went, my wife and I, to Texas, and we did one for six weeks. It was great. Fucking so, A. So that kind of thing, too, of kind of morphing that, right? When Like when COVID came, we're like, what the fuck are we going to do? What do we do now? And then we put that together. But also, it's, it's just like you have uh, like um, a commodity that most people in this world don't have. Most people, like we live in the age of the podcast where anybody will listen to almost anybody and stuff. But there's so many of them, not yeah. everyone gets listened to. Yeah. You would fucking get listened to because, like, you've got boots on the ground experience yeah. of eras that still mean something and transform the culture. Like, I appreciate it. And that. you're yeah. fucking so well-spoken. You man. can sit there and hold fucking court. I can see yeah. you standing, yeah. being in a chair, leaning in Dave Chappelle style on a fucking stool. Right, right. And literally right. doing, like, an hour, two-hour show, man, I where totally you just tell fucking story. I'm story. developing it, yeah. Smart. I'm thinking to do it in Vegas. Yeah, it'd be fun. No, I appreciate that so much. Coming from you, man, it means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, because here's the thing. Like, yourself, heavily influenced. Like, my heroes growing up were Carlin yes. and Richard Pryor. Yes. Like, really. And then I discovered Lenny. So even though I've never done stand-up, I love comics. I love comedians. Yeah, but you also, like, even you though know, you've never, quote, unquote, never done stand-up, do you've, you've, you know? you've got comedic chops. A comedic Thank actor you. has Thank timing you. and stuff yeah. like that. So that's why I think the show would be an interesting thing, because my father is actually interesting. He t my, Tom, dis you know, discovered like a Zamo. So if you look at people who have done that kind of thing, I like that kind of approach too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's an honor. Thank you, man. Yeah. yeah happy to do it. That future. or the book, but I do think like yeah. live spoken word performance, like you right? on stage. Absolutely, yeah. man. And so audio visual elements would be cool too. Fucking A. Yeah, so we're working on. What was, um, so wait, when you were uh, running around with the movies and stuff like mm -hmm. that, um, what did Sean Astin show? Goonies? Goonies and Rudy. And he's a great guy. We did a movie a couple of years back, Kevin, with the great Bruce Stern, and it was called The Leers. And it was a Canadian director named Carl Basai, who was a friend, great guy. We shot this movie, and he really is like a Cassavetes. We shot this movie in a house in Malibu for three weeks, and I did it after I finished Live by Night with Ben Affleck, your buddy. Yeah. And that's uh, right. Fucking you. Yeah. Right. So I worked with Sean on that. He's a great guy. So he showed up. We actually had to zoom him in because he and Downey were still at home with their families, and I respected that. But Robert Patrick is a game on dude. He's awesome. He got on his bike, dude, and drove to Texas. And came out into yeah, the Yeah, and we did like a Terminator weekend with him and Eddie Furlong and some other guys. It was great, man. So we had um, a great run. You still talk to RDJ? Yeah, we're good, man. We're very close friends. I was just He just texted me the other day congratulating me on Hollywood Kills. And we have a TV show that we wrote called Singularity, which I've been developing with he and his wife at their company. And we're gonna, we, we did a first round of pitch to some networks, but we're still... We're still hot on that one too. So we wrote a TV show together. Now this is a guy who you've known for years, and you've known him like to you know he's a actor who likes to bury in roles. Mm -hmm. When you see him play Iron Man for the first time, and you see him play essentially what most of us assume is so close to self, mm. Mm. do do you see it that way, or when you look and play Iron Man, you're like, oh, that's still a performance? The, I that's see, not no, I see that. I see that what you're saying, and here's what I would say to that. There's a parallel, and it's draw. not a diss. No, it's not at all. Bro. No, no, no. I know Stark, one of the greatest characters ever created, oh, and totally. the fact that he seemingly plays it so close to himself is what makes it even more enjoyable. I love it. No, there's a couple things I want to say about that. Years ago, I read a book, but it was called Directors on Directing. Peter Bogdanovich was asked, "What is the first thing you know notice about an actor?" And he said, "His or her intelligence." So with Downey, someone like that, he's always had that brilliance, that mind. Mm -hmm. He's so great. He's fucking sharp. And to your question, I think that's a good point. This is where I'd compare him to Depp. 
and he and this is something that Robert said to me when I was blowing him up. We were on a call. This was probably six, seven years ago, and I was just congratulating him on this the greatest comeback in the history of Hollywood. Right, like, right. let's call it what it is. Very true. And his wife is an amazing woman. She really is. She's she a big part of that comeback. Susan, from what yes, I she is a huge part of it. Yes, sir, absolutely. He's a. But you know uh, what he said? A, he's a energies guy, very positive energies totally. guy, crystals guy, totally. Yeah. And he's really doing great. They have two kids together, and Indio, my godson, his son is in his twenties now. But he, here's something that Downey said to me. He goes, well, and in, in response to the compliment I was giving him that day on our call, mm. he's like, well, if you do 75 movies, one of them's got to work. So he was just kind of, you know, like right. being self-deprecating, but not unlike Depp. The guy does 75, 100 performances that are mind-blowing and then gets Pirates of, Silicon, uh, Pirates Pirates of the Caribbean. Caribbean, excuse me. And then case in point for Downey, too. So there's an argument to be made like he's so talented that he's, he, he doesn't have to do much to be charming as Stark. But let's not forget the 75 great films, right? Like all the great work. Like when, when you watch Chaplin, you never see Robert Downey Jr. Thank you. When you watch Iron Man, you can't help but see Robert Downey Jr. For us, right. Tony right. Stark and Robert Downey Jr. are one. And that was part of the charm of the character in the first one. Like why Favreau was smart to cast him. Because it's like right. you're casting a, a celebrity right. as a mo as a celebrity. As a, a billionaire. Right. Exactly. Who also right. had a dad who right. was in the business before. Like everything lined point. up so yeah. nicely. And and I think like Depp in a different way, virtuoso actor, man. He can go left to right. He can go comedy, drama, yeah. anything you throw at him. And then look at Depp. I mean, Willy Wonka. I mean, the guy is like, yeah. he can do anything, Johnny Depp. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen it point yeah. blank. He was in Tusk. We made this movie called Tusk and Yoga Hosers. And he was cool. Both of them crazy. He loved, loves doing the makeup. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my God, man. I like that's cool stuff, man. A couple yeah. guys that you fucking were. I forgot about the death. So of to all. me, yeah, exactly. It's like that trajectory, that much work and putting down that much work, dude. It's awesome. They deserve everything that comes to them. And I, I have nothing but respect for those guys. Guys, we talked about earlier too, like Christian Bale. Love that guy, man. Heath Ledger. I loved working with him. I admired all these guys that I've been able to work with. Depp's another one. Incredible actor. When you work with these cats, because you've got some, most of them by like five to 10 years at least, mm -hmm. are they all like me where they're like, what the fuck was Hughes like? What the fuck was this like? What the fuck was I have to like? admit, a lot of people are interested in, in John, you know, because there was a part of John Kevin that was almost like Howard Hughes. Yeah. And I think. Very reclusive. Like, it seems like it, the only way I ever find out about him is from people who literally touched the hem and were part of his life like yourself and like you're saying man like after when i told you that that bit about he he went to la and then just decided to go back he wasn't he didn't really feel comfortable here so i think from that time on a squirrel just coming in oh, taking a awesome. nut <laughs> What's going on? squirrel looking for a nut he got one he did that's hilarious so yeah with john i think you know i think he became increasingly like more like that and kind of distanced himself from from the world and that's okay you know because i think there was an introverted aspect to him that was deeply private and that's cool and he sh i mean the thing is you know he shared that like the fact that he shared as much as he did mm. considering it was something of an introvert totally. and so much of his life you know his youth but translating it to kids who were 15 20 years younger than him and also so important he talked to us like we were adults like the yeah. way you got to hang out with him yeah. we all didn't get to hang out with him but yeah. for those of us who watched his movies we appreciated that he spoke to us like we were not fucking children like he knew we were people too great point and i think that level of sensitivity awareness what all all of those things he never lost that i think that was part of his ear as a writer but you know like there's a moment in the breakfast club and this is actually pretty poignant john where john kaplos is a buddy of mine he was in a film that i produced this summer called the class which is kind of like a reimagined 
modern day breakfast club he's uh, the he was the janitor he, played the he janitor. was also in 16 candles he's the one marrying uh molly ringwald's sister. sister yeah, yeah. and he's also a weird science so he's the other actor he's in one of my favorite movies oh my god that's right he's yeah. in weird science yeah. too he's also yeah. in uh um nothing in common with tom hanks oh that's right he's, no, he's a great actor good guy and so um i just wanted to highlight one thing in the scene with gleason yeah where gleason's being interviewed by Kapilos as the janitor yeah. of the eyes and ears of this institution. Yeah, he yeah. says something. Gleason turns to him and goes, well, who were your, who were your heroes growing up? Who did you want to be? And when Kapilos responds, John Lennon, that's John. John was a huge Beatles fan. So there again, he would project elements or pieces of his life onto the other characters. I happen to know because I talked to John about it. He had sisters, so he kind of felt like the black sheep between two sisters. Mm -hmm. So that kind of true sensitivity and awareness and self-awareness that informed his writing I think that he maintained that kind of kid's heart. And that's why it's kind of sad that I, I lost track and touch with him because I think it really offended him and hurt him more than I, I realized when I wasn't able to do those films. And it would have been five in a row that I had done with him. But what films? Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink he wanted me to star in. Hold on. You just fucking rolled over that. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He wrote Ferris Bueller for me, actually, not Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Get the fuck out. Yeah. That makes absolute sense. Yeah. That tracks. Right. And, and then, then what was the other one? Well, what Pretty in Pink, which I felt, to be very honest, it's very much 16 Candles. Yeah, right? it like, is. That's true. It's kind true. of a repeat of it. So because I was working on some other stuff and just it didn't work out. Oh, my God. John Cryer must thank the Lord the day that you were like, I, nice you guy, know, man. I've done this before. Yeah. I don't think I'm nice doing guy. He's like, thank God. Because yeah. he got to be Ducky. Yeah. No, he's a nice so guy. So wait. So so um, so this happened with Molly as well, from what I understand. Like she's, she was offered parts and she was like. I'm going to grow up. And then he was just kind of done with her. So back to the, the sensitivity, the sensitivity and the capability as an artist that he has to hear and write the way he always did. Same thing. He was very, he had a very sensitive way. Yeah, about yeah. And I think that that, that might've been in fact, how it played out that he was upset or angered with both of us or me. Or like whatever. I raised you kids. I brought you in kind of thing. And yet there was total equanimity when we were together. Cause like I said, we were like two 15 year olds hanging out. Right. He wasn't like, he wasn't like I'm the guy who you're made the you. Yeah. That, you were like buddies, but I'm sure you have that kind of rapport with your actor friends, right? Cause they're, Very much they so. become friends and you just, and I also get that dialogue. I get sensitive. If like, you know, one of them was, you know, like, uh, we were going to make uh Zach and Mary make a porno. We had made clerks too. I loved it. But Thank you. We were about to make Zach and Mary make a porno. Yeah. And I offered it to, uh, Rosaria, who we had just done Clerks 2 with, and she was one of one Clerks 2. So yeah. I was like, you and Seth Rogen. Yeah. And, you know, she was like, I love you, but I literally just played this part for you. She's like, this is the same character, kind of, in the same relationship, kind of. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. So Thanks. you Sorry got to, you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, but I, but I wasn't like, I'm done with you. <laughs> right. Um, but, right. but there was a feeling of like, oh, well, yes, but still right. will you do it and i'm sure like he yeah. bumped into that maybe yeah so it's a weird it's a kind of a weird unknown when it comes to hughes but i love him i loved him i miss him you know and his wife was so great because really man like i was at his house a lot i was always hanging out with him and the things that i recounted earlier kevin like true like he would pick us up we go to record stores we go see music what's the closest to so all cool. the hughes movies because he put himself into lots of the main mm. characters is she's having a baby the closest to him he certainly looks like young hughes with the glasses i the think hair. there's that because i know for a fact like remember in the 80s when we were kids there was that commercial it was like for shaving cream where the guy tested his beard with a credit card yeah john wrote that are you fucking shitting me john hughes that. wrote that card remember the, that the credit card kid, commercial? Yeah. the early 80s it was like you test your beard with the credit card yeah and it was for whatever shaving cream, right? Or a razor. One of the How other. fucking nuts. 
So in terms of, to answer your question, I think from the macro standpoint, yeah, that's his life because he was an ad guy in Chicago. Right. Falling in love with his lovely, beautiful wife, and she was a beautiful woman, and they had two great kids that are great guys. Um, so yeah, but now having worked with him, dude, I think he did that all through his career, yeah. like Easter eggs of either his own biography or- He left little horcruxes everywhere, little well pieces said. of himself. Yeah, yeah. And I think as a, and that we were all conduits to that, like we were all, we were all channeling aspects of him i think not just molly and i that's my thought maybe it's so crazy dude because you're a giant who's walked with giants you know what i'm saying like as you recount yeah. tales you're you know um you're our way into the story mm -hmm. the audience but the audience can't also forget you're also one of the main characters in the stories that we're you're bringing us into like you're not in the room as one of us like oh we just happen to be standing by and fucking cool famous people happen you were in the room because of the chat the talent and the fucking thank chops you. that you had and continue to fucking have thank you i'm sir. telling you right That's now awesome, if you thank don't you. do a one-man show it's a complete waste <laughs> okay. of a, like a, a fantastic storytelling ability Thanks. great fucking voice uh, fucking uh, pitch perfect timing Thanks. and you've got content for fucking Days. No, it's true. I really appreciate For that, Kevin. Days. It reminds me of, I want to finish my point that I alluded to earlier about why I think Tim Burton is scissor hands. Mm. When we're doing the film, okay, first of all, I go in his office. This is a trip. And the drawings be behind him for Nightmare, and, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas are on the wall. So he was an animator. Not, only, not to mention he looked like one of the lost members of the cure, right? He had the hair. <laughs> yes. His favorite actor was, was, was uh, uh, Vincent Price, the great... So, and then you look at that story and it's kind of a fairy tale. It's like, what is it? Pinocchio and Romeo and Juliet, everything, right? Mm -hmm. So, but Tim Burton was another one. No, I mean, I love it. I've often thought of that saying, Kevin, it actually matters a lot to me personally, which is, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants and that we, in our lives, all of us have had those people that impacted us. You've been that to many people too. You have a whole generation of actors that you've been that to. Sometimes. And yeah, man. So isn't it cool? It's like a really gives me chills in a way because it's cool. But uh, I also think it's like the way it's supposed to be. In terms of the evolution of things. Very true. Because like what I learned from Maddie and Harold and, you know, and hopefully as a director and producer in the future, I can do that for others, you know. Um, Great it stuff. Is, it is, um, you've had an astounding, you continue to have an astounding career. Thanks, it's man. also fucking amazing that you made it out of the 80s as a teen actor alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> Happy, healthy, yeah. with fucking love and a family and shit like that. Thank you, man. God yeah. bless. That's awesome. Smile bless, as we say right now. Smile bless, right now. Um, <laughs> Man, oh man, Halloween Kills is out right now. What yeah. are you doing, Halloween Kills? Okay, so I played Tommy Doyle in the original. That was one of the two kids. Wait, what? Yeah. Are you shitting me? That's Tommy Doyle. You're right. the little boy that she's babysitting. You at got the end. it. Who says you can't kill the boogeyman in the yeah, first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, bro, you got to see the movie. I got to come back. We'll do it again after you see Halloween Kills. You got to see this movie, dude. Oh my god. We can talk about that movie. It ties me. into the first one. Oh, not too close. But not only that, can I just give props to David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, Jason Bloom, and my boss Jamie Lee? Dude, this my movie boss. kicks. As I interviewed her on, uh, at IM, on the IMD boat at San Diego Comic-Con. She, yeah, she's, she's so chill. Lovely. Man. She's really a great person and really has digested, I think, the lessons of her life. She's very and caring and generous somebody, of others. You know, somebody who's really been cool. in the business yeah. like, a minute longer than you. Oh my God. So she is your kind of- Big time. Like, uh, but I just want to say like he did such a great job in this movie because going into it, I hadn't seen the other 11. Like I really only saw the first one. Are I there 11 Halloween movies? This is the 12th installment. But when I was shooting it, Kevin, I got to be honest, man, like in the first two weeks after doing a bunch of stuff that I did and seeing how David Gordon Green and Michael Simmons as DP and meaning Danny McBride, I mean, dude, I love that guy. I love them. 
and I just, I remember calling my wife going, I think this is going to be like the best, if not up there at the top of all these films. And I haven't, I didn't even seen the other 10, right, right. but I just felt it, man. And I'm just so pumped. People are loving it, man. It's made like $92 million in 20 yeah, doing business. And the so when nobody's, everyone's terrified to leave that. And house. what David Gordon Green, who by the way, reminds me a lot of John in many ways, totally affable, cool, collaborative, great guy. Um, he was talking to me about it when we were on set, you know, like Tommy's the hero of the film, you know, and, but in fairness to my other actors, the, the arc he gave me is the one that we all share. So everybody kind of transcends being just the victim or the survivors right. and the way the movie kicks off, bro, is it picks up right from the last one. Mm. The house is on fire. We are all commiserating in this town. Kevin, a little friend, you know, friendly night, Halloween night with the locals. And I get up and I start talking about those that we've lost and all that. And then everybody just kind of rises up. Now, what's crazy is this predates everything that our world has been through for the last two years. We mm -hmm. shot the movie two and a half years ago. Is that right? Oh, that's right. This and, was and being right, held all through right. uh, And quarantine. the code name of the film was Mob Rules. And uh, we had no idea, like all the stuff that's happened in the world. It's the thing of like life imitating art to some people who choose to interpret that way. I don't look at it like that, but right. some people do. How ironic. But the movie kicks ass, man. Like David Gordon Green did such a great job. So I'm just so proud to be in this movie. It's just like this, dude. It's like a roller coaster. You're going to love it when you see it. Um, so and that's proud. high praise from a fucking guy who's yeah. been who's worked with a director or two, including some Thank of you. the fucking giants of yeah. our industry, and not yeah. just like old giants who've left us, but <laughs> fucking Nolan and Burton, dude, yeah. are pillars. They are. Of this, they community. really are. Yeah. No, I appreciate that so much. Yeah, um, it's a great experience. Halloween Kills. No, yeah, no shit. Yeah. Good for you, man. Thanks. Man. Um, Halloween Kills uh, is still in theaters right now. Also yeah. on Peacock, Peacock for streaming, a right? minute streaming. If yeah. I don't know if they're doing it like well, like HBO Max does, where they do it for a month and take it off, but you can check right. it out right there right now. And God willing, if uh, Anthony Michael Hall gets his shit together, he'll be on a stage next year doing a fucking show that you can go see, yeah. talking about his yeah. his life and work. I'm telling you, I pay to see that show. I'd buy I love you. I love you for the support, bro. And also, like yourself, I want to get behind the camera and start directing. So I'm developing. I have yeah, a company what the in fuck, Manhattan man? Films. Have you ever directed across? The I have. I directed an episode. It was so funny. I got Richard Lewis to guest star on it, and he was playing kind of a Howard Stern character when I did the Dead Zone. I directed that. I directed a movie that was goofy as shit when I was 25 called Hell Caesar. Hell Caesar, I remember Daddy that fucking in. picture. Yeah. You directed and I that. I did. Yeah, Sam Jackson, I got. Yeah, you know, we were kind of scriptless, but we had fun anyway. And so, you know, I have a project that I wrote um, that I want to direct. I'm developing my company some Manhattan films because I consider that my great teacher. Or I grew up in Manhattan. Right. And yeah, just gunning, man. I have some good stuff in the works. I have a pro a couple things going to be announced soon. But yeah, so like yourself, I want to direct comedies. I want to make other kinds of films and. And also, I really endeavor to have a company because I want to help others. It can't be just about yourself. Uh, so, you know, that's the plans moving ahead. I have a lot to do. I feel that way. Fuck yeah. Man. We all loved <laughs> Farmer Ted. Farmer Ted grew up okay, man. Thanks, man. Um, uh, <laughs> you and I will do something together. I would love it, Kevin. Really. In a heartbeat. I'd love to work I'm with telling you, you, you're, yeah. you're, you are in my creative DNA because I grew up watching Thank you, your man. work. So it's like Thanks. fundamentally, yes. Well, I've always been a huge fan, and I love how you you handle your world too man you're a great filmmaker you're a great guy and people love you and i'm happy to be here with you man thank yeah. you yeah uh there it is kids fucking <laughs> talking with a titan here ladies and gentlemen uh talking with the three names that matter most in this world anthony michael hall thank you for making the time thank you coming over for excellent real pleasure down real Thanks, pleasure. Yeah. that is smodcast for this week kids i'm kevin smith i'm anthony michael hall have a week see ya
This has been a Smodco Internet Production. Sip only at smodcast.com. <laughs>